Blog Talk Radio. I didn't agree with the stoppage, but um, if you look at the cards, he was actually up in the cards with a competitive fight. Not to say he wouldn't have gotten, you know, gotten taken out um, after that, but I don't know. I definitely didn't really agree with the stoppage on that one. His legs didn't look great. Don't get me wrong, but I don't. I don't know. But we'll, we'll talk about the weekend. Like I said, what's next for Ryan Garcia? A lot of people saying, you know, the winner of Haney Progray, which obviously would be great. Speaking of, we will preview, predict the Devin Haney-Regis Progray fight. We'll go over some of the, you know, the undercard is pretty light. Um, You know, ESPN does have their uh, Heisman, you know, post-Heisman ceremony card that they normally do. Um, We'll talk about that. There's not a lot of preview and predicting on that one, if we're being honest. Um, there isn't like an undercard fight that I would say is the closest to a 50-50. The main event, it really feels like they're setting up for Inouye. Like they're giving their best shot uh, for Inouye. Um, because it's just, I hope it's a really competitive fight. Uh, you know, I always try to take it, you know, just go watch the fights. And I can give my opinion. Everybody can give their opinion. But we're not pro matchmakers. We think we know a lot, and some of us do know a fair amount. But I always say, you know, like, if you're not making a living, you know, being a matchmaker, um, there is a lot of surprises. So I'm just hoping for competitive fights on that card. But, yeah, I mean, if you look at the opponent, you know, it shouldn't be a competitive, that's for sure. Um, Robisi, you know, in there on a main event, not really looking forward to that. But Devin Haney, like I said, Regis Progray on the zone pay-per-view, 
Um, you do get a discounted pay-per-view if you do it on the zone. Just a heads up. We'll get into some of that details. Um, I think they've done a good job promoting this online. Um, now, I haven't seen a commercial or anything for that. It's really rare that you see the zone pay-per-views have commercials now. Uh, they used to, or just the zone Canelo fights and whatnot, even before pay-per-view. But I, don't, I haven't seen one personally. Maybe I'll see one. Uh, you know, on the NBA coming up in some of the games. Um, but the online stuff has been very interesting. You know, I saw, I didn't see it, but Haney and um, Progress Trainer or Strength and Conditioning Trainer going at it, <laughs> Bill Haney. And, you know, I just think they've done, from the beginning, I think they've digitally online done a good job. I've, I've, I've enjoyed a lot of it. And just, the way they started with that close-up shot of both of them talking shit, I really like that. I really like the vibe of that. Um, now, what they were saying, are they going to back it up? You know, I mean, we could say that about a lot of a lot of fights, though. I, for one, think this will be a competitive fight. I think, you know, I'd say Progray is getting underlooked and undervalued to an extent, um, but I don't look at it like a like Loma and Haney was an action packed fight. I don't see that happening. I hope, but I, I don't I think it'll be a little bit more um just more strategic than a lot I mean we'll get into it, but Pro Gray I think ultimately will have to come forward, but that's actually not his best uh way to fight. You know, the mid range countering his jab's a lot better than, like, he's got natural reflexes. And like I said, his jab, in many ways, is just as good as, uh, as Haney. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll break that down in just a short little bit. We're going to have John. We're going to fit him in for a segment. He's going to be joining us here very soon. So whenever he pops on, I'll make sure to get him in. Um, and then, you know, Devin Haney did drop all his belts at 135. You know, Cambosa's Loma is at least going to be for an IBF. Some folks, you know, believe the WBO will get involved. Uh, Shakur obviously has the WBC now. Um, and if you look at the rankings inside the WBO, I, I don't know if that would go to Loma. And, you know, I don't think it would just go to Lo- Loma Cambosa's look at the rankings now you know Stevenson is going to be out of the rankings and maybe they had some new ones and I I haven't seen him um, because he's a champ once you're a champ you're generally not in the other's rankings not every single solitary time but um, a lot of times you'll see that that's basically what the rule of thumb is so we'll see what that means for uh, like an Isak Cruz you know uh, the rumblings, you know, are still out there. The rumors about, um, you know, the PBC and Amazon, we're not going to go too, you know, too deep on that. I've already given my take on that. Um, but there is some more room there. We should know soon, regardless of what it is. Some people are getting a little uh, impatient, and I understand, but... Um, I don't know. I really think that we're at least waiting for this last pay-per-view because I, you know, that might be part of it, the pay-per-view model. Maybe it won't. Maybe it will. Who knows? Uh, But, yeah, we're going to get to all this stuff 
in just a short little bit here on the Rope and Dope Radio. And if this is your first time listening to the Rope and Dope Radio podcast, welcome. It streams live right here on blogtalkradio.com forward slash Rope and Dope Radio. Uh, you don't have to go to Blog Talk and Rope and Dope. If you don't want to, you can download the show there. But if not, you can find Rope and Dope Radio on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Google Podcasts, Podbay, Podtail. Make sure you download the podcast app while you're at it. Why don't you head on over to thegruelingtruth.com, Phil Boxing, and Eastside Boxing. One more thing from Direct TV Stream. Sign up today and save $64.99 getting that Direct TV Stream deal. Our best deals of 2023 for a limited time. Uh, you can get $69.98 per month for two months. It's a savings of $50 when you get the entertainment package in sports pack, okay? Uh, but either way, you know, choose the direct TV stream uh, package that's right for you, and it all starts at $69.98 as we speak. Okay. So, like I said, I'm going to go ahead and bring in John into the fold uh, because, you know, I, I did do it a, a day later, and I want to make sure that he, you know, he's a busy guy. So we, let's get him in here. Uh, Ryan Garcia, Oscar Duarte, you know, in my mind, although Garcia cleanly won the fight, it wasn't all that great. You know, it wasn't all that great. Um, Some, you know, some people were talking about the stoppage and if they agreed with the stoppage or not. Um, You know, we'll talk about a variety of stuff here. Let's go ahead. Okay, there we go. Let's go ahead and bring in John here. What's going on, John? How are you doing on this evening, my friend? Chris, great to be here. Uh, good to be able to join you here on this uh, Wednesday evening. Uh, get ready to recap a little bit of what happened last week and what we have uh, going on this weekend uh, inside the ring and with a little bit of the outside the ring uh, elements as well. There you have it. And, and before we even get to talk about what took place in the ring, um, stoppage is all on Oscar Duarte. If he thought he was okay to continue, he needs to get up at the count of eight. I am getting a little sick of these fighters getting pissed off. And um, Now, he has a right to do an appeal if he wants to, but when you're on the ground, whether you're taking a knee, whatever, you're not up on your feet yet, and you and the, the the ref hits nine. Just think about like it just getting to nine to ten. It, it's going to take like a second to get up, and it's not an exact you know stopwatch second here. I mean, you're really even when you get up at nine, you're 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 risking it. Um, runner doesn't go to the tie. You know, the tie doesn't go to the runner. In this case, the boxer. And when he's on nine and you start to get up after nine and then you meet him up at 10, that's, that's, it's too late. It's too late. So I really don't want to hear too much about the stoppage. Now, did he look super hurt or something like that? No, but if he wasn't super hurt, the guy was counting on his fingers, you know? So if there was the translation or something like that, the point is, Get up if you can continue. Now, if you're buzzed 
yeah, sometimes just taking a knee in general, even if you didn't get knocked down, is, is smart. Or sometimes staying down, you know, we see time and time again, guys do make a mistake of trying to jump up in a prideful way and trying to show people that he's not, you know, they're not hurt when they should be staying down for a little bit. But I just wanted to get that out there because if you're, like I said, if they hit nine and you're still not on your feet, that's on you. Sorry about that, John. I had to get that out. I got some messages. I saw some stuff on Twitter. And I'm just like, dude, that's on the fighter, man. I don't care what he says after or any kind of appeal. You got to get up by eight. Um, but what was your thoughts overall, you know, with what I was just talking about, of course, we can talk about that, but with uh, Garcia's return, you know, he was deploying this this shoulder row for a while. He was turning his back. He didn't look that comfortable. He was probably moving too much. Didn't look all that great. Didn't look all that bad either at times with his jab and his right hand and left hook and yada, yada, yada. Well, what was your thoughts in general um, with Ryan Garcia's return? No, Chris, I think it was good you, you brought up the point about the stoppage. It, it, it kind of, and you're talking about messages you were getting and kind of fits my take on the whole thing, which is going to tie right into what you just said, which is, you know, Ryan Garcia, one of the biggest names in the sport right now. Um, so he, he's definitely important in that sense, no doubt about it. And with all the social media followers, the social media follower, followers that he and Tank Davis have, you know, in part leading to a, a good pay-per-view event, you know, reliable sources seem to be saying that was a $1.2 million in terms of buys, which we're just not getting nowadays. That, that at least didn't necessarily take you back to some real bygone glory days, but taught you took you back at least to some glory days of more recent 20 years or so uh, at least maybe even 30 so that was a good thing so his return was important in that sense but i think the downside of it and it comes into really to me things of talking about the stoppage and how he looked which which we all do as fans but you know this really was kind of a nothing fight that thing nowadays that you know, the fans are hungry for something, and, it, and it's just getting built into something, and there's there's really not that much there. Like you said, I take it the same way. I mean, did Garcia look spectacular? No, he didn't, he didn't take the guy out in a couple of rounds using his speed and power right off the bat, but didn't look bad either as, you know, you and I discuss a lot. I mean, my criteria on these types of assignments is – did you get the guy out of there, which which he did. You know, he, he had him hanging around, but he, he's got that fast, powerful left hook. And, you know, tying in again to what you said about the stoppage, I mean, Duarte was clearly hurt, you know, in that sequence leading that, that eventually led to the stoppage. So, you know, it, it was, I'm with you. I mean, it wasn't the deals where, you know, he wasn't even hurt at all and, and it also wasn't a deal when you take the fight as a whole. It wasn't like for eight rounds he, he was, you know, showing that he was this frighteningly surprising, dangerous opponent where, like, he dropped Garcia or something like that and, 
everybody was on the edge of their seat earlier. And, and that's just the kind of thing it was. And to me, that's the problem, one of many that you're getting with boxing nowadays. I mean, Duarte just wasn't a good opponent, really. I mean, he had a high KO percentage, but against nobody. He wasn't a legit top 10 guy. So take it for what it is. I mean, one of the positives to me was, you know, of course, Garcia coming off a disappointing stoppage loss to Davis. Not that he looked that bad through most of the fight, but uh, still, you know, stoppage disappointing, even though Tank's a, a massive puncher. And then you also had Derek James, who was on top and kind of has had some rough spots, you know, with Errol Spence, Jermel Charlo lately. Frank Martin had a performance that wasn't that good. And, you know, that's going to happen, but I think this was a positive in that sense. Like, Ryan, you know, if you want to as people just looking for anything positive or negative they can take out of this one. And, and I'm going to submit, there's probably not much there. One of the, so for me, there was a few positives though, for Garcia, if you're trying to take anything out of it, getting the stoppage, you, you know, he's got the, the fast left hook. That's got a lot of pop sticking with Derek James. In other words, it wasn't a gimmick thing where he went to the gym and then, you know, didn't end up, you know, having a fight with Derek James or anything like that. And like I said, Derek James, arguably in need of a positive boost where he's had some rough times recently. And also with Derek James, you know, Joshua's not using him now for this Specs fight with, with Valen, supposedly a conflict or something. But still, it's it's kind of added to to that downswing. Now, you know, Garcia stuck with him for this fight, got a knockout win. Uh Garcia seemed happy with, you know, his working with Derek James when we got out of the corner. And that's the type of thing that, of course, helps a trainer, especially a veteran who's already been to the top of the game like Derek James. You take a guy like Ryan Garcia, you make noticeable improvements if this goes on and Garcia gets back to the to the top level. Uh, you know, it's going to be a plus for, for Derek James getting back on his game as well. So I kind of take that out of it. But I think you got that's where you got to look at when the opponent's just not that good. How how much can you take out of it? Because the fighter in Ryan Garcia's position is not as motivated either, knowing what type of opponent it is. And and this is a theory going to a lot of fights. I think it's worth addressing with this one because it fits, and it's with all the promotions. Uh, all topping with one promotion, be it Golden Boy, PBC, Matchroom, Top Rank. You know, Aram said something about it years ago, and I'm not by any means taking the promoters off the hook or, or blaming what we call, of course, now all the time the A side because we don't get to know what the promoters are making. But you, 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 whether even though you don't agree with it, you do see it through all the promotions now. In other words, Ryan Garcia has got to get a certain amount of money and, and I, hey, these guys, they take the risk. They earn the big names. I'm not one of these people saying, oh, Ryan Garcia should take less money or whoever for whatever promotion should. Like, in other words, take less mon- money to fight a better opponent. It just <laughs> – you're human beings. They got to think of themselves too. They're taking punches to the head. It would make no sense. And what I'm getting to is I think all the promotions have lapsed into the deal where if they're going to pay the A side a certain amount – they're they're not going to put out money for a opponent to make it a quote unquote real fight. And all we got to do for fans is 
you know, hope like Duarte's better, you know, than anybody thought type of a thing. And and does that happen once in a while? Yeah, it it does happen. It didn't really happen here. And, you know, Obesia Ramirez has got one of those kind of opponents Saturday night on an ESPN card. But that's where it's not fair to fans that we've got to tune into these fights that most of the time are, are going to be dogs. And even if an A-side's involved and, and hope we're going to get some surprise where it's a good fight, where, you know, it happens once in a while, but it doesn't happen near enough for all the time that's got to be spent tuning in. So uh, that's not just picking on Golden Boy in that fight. That's all promotions all around. But I think we're, it was just a case where there's not much to take from it, and we've gotten conditioned to, well, Ryan Garcia's coming back after a loss, so he's got to fight a nobody. Well, you know, not really. I mean, you know, when you think about it, not really. Uh, but that's just what we're what we're being conditioned to accept nowadays. Yeah, and it's also it seems like everyone's got to have a take, uh, and not just your normal opinion, but it's got to be a hot take. It's got to be something that's gonna attract engagements and get into debates and arguments. And it's really more arguments than legitimate debates. But, yeah, I was just kind of kind of in between on it. Um, I think he was, uh, like, the first round it was like, where are the jabs? Second round the jab was heavy. He was kind of in between with the jab. Um, and he, he was trying to land this uppercut from way too far away. Um, I know he was trying to time him with it. He times really well. I thought some of his movement was kind of ineffective, just like the shoulder roll. But I also thought that he was, you know, he's got that little check left hook as he moves and and pivots and kind of resets. I I did like what I saw there. I just thought overall he moved a little too much and wasn't necessarily sitting down on his punches. And and, and I definitely don't mean getting into all these exchanges and and sitting down on your punches and brawling. Um, I thought he could have mixed up his, uh, mixed it up a little bit more. Um, but you know, when you get, like I said, to the stoppage, there's just, I mean, the last couple of rounds though, and even, you know, one of the, the the last round or or one of the last rounds, he was moving way too much at times. It was like, dude, where, where are you going? Um, but the left counter, um, hook, followed up by the right hand, uh, by multiple right hands, really did have him, Oscar Duarte, you know, in some trouble, and in enough trouble to where he didn't get right up, that's for sure. So that, like I said, and, and we know that's on him. Anybody saying anything else, uh, he must just not like Ryan Garcia or something like that. Um, and, uh, you know, the undercard, not a whole lot happened there. Shane Mosley Jr. was, you know, saying, I'm ready for a title shot. Eh, Floyd Schofield took care of Ricardo Lopez Torres, like, quickly. Um, but, yeah, not a whole lot uh, happened on that card uh, to, to have, a, a, you know, more, anything more than just a, a brief segment. Um, Jordan Gill did um, beat Michael Conley. Now, it was a, a competitive fight, that's for sure. In fact, the cards had it 57 to 56 in favor. Um, of Gill uh, before the stoppage. Um, and I will say this, like, I did kind of think the stoppage was too early. Um, 
at times, on average, I'm talking about, we kind of do see that from the UK compared to here or Mexico or something like that. But I'm not saying that Gil wouldn't have taken him out. Um, but I, I do think it was a little bit of a early stoppage. And I say that because early in the fight, I thought his legs would look worse. You know, now he was still throwing back and showing hard, but his legs look pretty shaky, like pretty by the second round. Um, and I thought he had done some decent stuff where he would flurry and he was landing uppercuts. He was doing some short shots on the inside. I thought he was actually doing some good work, uh, Michael Conlon, but Gil definitely, you know, deserved to win the fight, like I said, and I don't think it's, uh, you know, it, it was a horrible stoppage. I thought it was a little early, um, but, you know, how much more are we going to see Michael Conlon, um, you know, as a professional fighter at the world level, John? Yeah, on, on this one, I, I gotta, I gotta be fair, just in the sense because I hate when people do this. I, I didn't, I didn't go before the fight and say I, I'm picking Jordan Gill here. I didn't, I didn't make any pick on this one, um, which sometimes I'll do in that type of situation, because you know, I'm not shocked. That, that's what I'm, I'm trying to say without being one of those sure. people that we all hate who pretend they or or put no pick out there that says, Oh, I knew that was going to happen. Um, so I didn't put a pick out there, but I didn't pick Conlon either. And, and a lot of times that's where I'm thinking, eh, you know, don't have much faith at this point, even though he was, you know, a, a significant favorite and it was an upset. I'm not shocked. I mean, Gil, of course, you had a bad loss to Martinez, but, um, you know, Conlon, it, it's really, with Conlon at this point, it's the opposite the way you'd be analyzing somebody who we're talking, we've talked about as much as Conlon. I mean, you, you look at the totality of, of his professional career. Um, there's, there's been more fights that aren't worth mentioning than really good ones that he's had. I mean, let, let's look at the whole thing. You know, top rank lost interest in him. Uh, they were really behind him in the U S early, um, you know, promo in the Irish heritage, having him in New York, and he didn't look good. And, you know, top rank doesn't have a ton of patience, as we know. Um, they didn't outright get fully away from him, but there's no doubt, Chris, you know, we, we mentioned that a couple of years ago. I mean, they, they lost interest in him. Then he had a couple of fights where he was doing a little better, but that's what I mean. You know, you're talking really in his career you know what a hand you know two three fights really at most and not not against you know ferocious opposition or anything just you know people who have a little bit of a name and then you know he got he got blasted out by you know Lopez just before this um you know taken out by Wood now Wood Wood he was winning that fight and then Wood did, you know did go on that good surprising run but Still, you know, Wood wouldn't be the, the type of guy that if Conlon was living up to his early billing that you you would expect him to lose to. So it is it is over for all intents. And like I said, before the fight, was I going to say, oh, Jordan Gill's definitely going to pull this upset? No, but I'm not, I'm not shocked. As soon as Conlon got taken out, I was like, that that's that's not a real shocker to me here. You know, 
it wasn't going anywhere before this fight. Uh, it's it's definitely not going anywhere now. I mean, as we say, it's ultimately up to him. He, fighters tend to fight. He may just go on. I I don't think it really it's a good win for Gill, but it, it doesn't mean he's going anywhere uh, either. So um, it's really just kind of kind of as people are alluding to, and I agree, it's 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 definitely uh, definitely end of the road for. Uh, for Conlon, so uh, you know I don't know how far we necessarily thought it would go, but Top Rank did put a lot behind him early. There are people who, whoever they are, who make such evaluations, obviously at some point decided he really wasn't going anywhere, and they were they were going to not put as much behind him, and that in that sense proved to be the right call uh, the way for the way they do things. So. It seems that it's uh, definitively the end of the road for Conlon. Yeah, I'd have to say the same thing. Um, it, it will be interesting to see, you know, where he where he goes, and, and maybe, you know, maybe maybe he will hang him up um, because, like you said, it is uh, he's haven't been like. Now I'll say this. Like I said, this was a competitive fight. Um, so was, you know, fights that he got, you know, the, the Lee Wood fight, you know. So he, he has, I mean, he really messed that up. If he had just won that fight, um, I think he would have fully extended his career for a while. But, yeah, when you lose, you know, all three losses by stoppage, um, and like you said, at the level, I mean, it's 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 not at a super low level, but I definitely would put Jordan Gill at a high level. Now, Luis Alberto Lopez and, and Lee Wood, that's that's more respectable level, and and he's got some nice wins. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I do think he'd have to really, uh, you know, rebuild. <laughs> that's for sure, and take kind of the slower route, and, and maybe just do local shows and stuff like that. Um, I will kind of talk about break down some of the other fights round by round on the, on the undercard or whatever, but any other items, um, you know, from this card or other stuff that, that you'd like to talk about from last weekend. Yeah. Well, one thing that ties in with what you were just saying, we were talking about Conlon and Jordan Gill and, you know, lumping UK fighters together a little bit, but it's, it's relevant to the discussion and same weight class, you know, for example, on the upside, um, you know, Isaac dog Bay always comes to fight and, you know, Nick ball, that was his first test. You know, he's still undefeated. He, he looked pretty good in that fight. Like that was pretty impressive. So there's a, a featherweight in the UK up and coming, um, who fought a tough customer in dog Bay and, it was in control the whole time, showed some good things, didn't stop him, but really good performance. There's a guy that on the ascension, you know, promoters might, might look to, you know, put, get, get behind him, get behind him more uh, in, in the future. So, you know, that was a, a UK featherweight who, who kind of stood out just within recent weeks uh, as opposed to, you know, Conlon who's, you know, been getting stopped as we just detailed, and uh, you know, Gill, who had the 
who's already had to stumble come back here. But like Ball uh, looks like a, like a guy on the ascension who you at, at least he's going he's gonna be a legit top ten level guy and maybe hang around there for a while uh, as opposed to some fighters who may already be on the decline. And just the undercard, all I'd say, it really was direct. I mean, not been too hard on him, but just on talent evaluation, you know, I just don't think I, – I just never have thought Shane Mosley Jr. is really very good. It's just the way things are watered down nowadays that he's even on there and you talk about him and, you know, he's got a name in that sense. Uh, you know, he, he's had a, w- a win here or there, but he, he's just not really, I just, I just think, I do think he's a guy, he, he's making the most of what he does have. And I just don't think it's that much. I think Schofield's a legit good prospect. I like his talent, but that undercard was just direct. I mean, that's just, you know, just garbage. So I, that's all I kind of wanted to comment there that I do think, you know, Schofield is talented. I don't think, you know, Shane Mosley Jr.'s, he just doesn't have the talent. I never thought he has, and I still don't. Um, and it's just not, just just really a, a bad undercard. You know, when you think the zone's charging a, a monthly fee of twenty two bucks a month if you get the one year package, this this is this is just stuff that's not sustainable. Yeah, I agree. Um, and the fact I think Shane was third fight or something like that on that in order or something like that third highest fight I mean or no maybe it was was it the co-feature I watched them I didn't watch it live I can't remember if it's the, I think it was the co-feature anyway but yeah you're right I, I, I would give him credit for what you said as far as getting the most out of uh, what he's got it's just what he's got is you know not a whole lot for a you know a, a top ten guy at a weight class or something like that right That's exactly like he's got he's got heart he's got heart and yeah. he tries um mm-hmm. I always give that to him and you know he's got in that sense he's got the you know that's where the father's name helps you and hurts you at the same time that maybe gets you in the door but then it always puts pressure on you like yeah i've always felt like he gives it all he has he, he there's just not much there there's just really just not much there and then you put it perfectly that's the way i look at it. like he, he's just He's just not at the talent level of a, of a legit top ten guy in a weight class. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. The vast majority of boxers aren't bad. So right, um, and I've seen plenty of fun club shows that are just really entertaining. And I think if casual fans would go to them or have gone to them in their life, you know, whatever stage they're at. You can if if you go to a, a quality promoters club show that they'll put on some good fights. Now one guy will have you know eight losses, the other guy may you know. But if you're just watching the fight, it's fun. It's fun to watch. And um, so I, yeah, like you said, I definitely don't want to disrespect that. Now you know he, he after the fight he did say that um, you know I'm ready for a title shot. I'm going to be the next title the titleist for for the uh, for Golden Boy. And you know he was ready to go, and that's cool. I mean, what else is he supposed to say? Of course, of course, right, that's right, going to be on right, the line. What else is he supposed to say on these shows, right? Right. And so that I think that's that's just fine. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't. I, I won't get too excited if uh, you know if he's in up for like you know um, a big you know title shot or something like that. Um, 
you know, I think he can be matched fairly evenly, which he has been because uh, he's taken some L's. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I think that's where he's at. They just got to keep matching him evenly. And then maybe he will have to go against one of their prospects and pull an upset. I think that would be like maybe the only way he's going to, uh, you know, get seen as, okay, well, maybe that's a stay busy fight for a fight he maybe, quote unquote, shouldn't get. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, so, obviously, in the ring, we have Devin Haney and Regis Progre on DAZN pay per view. They are offering a little bit of a discount if you are a DAZN subscriber. Um, obviously, if you subscribe right before the fight, you know, it's not like they give away a free month. So, it's not really helping you there. Um, but, you know, if you feel like the zone's going to be something for you, you know, the next year, you know, may, maybe go for it and, and, and you think that you're going to get, you know, quality, you know, value for it. That's cool. But I did want to mention that they are, um, they are offering a slight discount instead of paying the 75 or, or 80, whatever it will end up being. Um, but, you know, the card itself for a pay-per-view card, you know, definitely <laughs> like, Really lackluster, um, but it is a good ass fight to go up to 140 and take on uh, maybe the best, if not one of the best. That's for sure. At the weight class, is Teofimo Lopez fighting? Is he not? He's ta- talking about he turned down a 1.5 million deal uh, to fight Garcia, but then you know Oscar's like, nah, that's not even true. You know, so I don't know. You can't really teal Fimo at this moment, you know, who knows, right, what's up with him. Um, that would be a good fight for the winner, that's for sure, as would Ryan Garcia, the winner of this. That would be great. Um, this fight's taking place on the zone, Ryan Garcia, for the time being anyway, um, you know, is on the zone. And by the way, it was a 143-pound catch weight. It didn't really get talked about. I think it may have been able to get talked about if the media uh, would ask quality questions during the week uh, rather than ask a couple questions, stop, you know, start talking about other fights uh, like future opponents. And even sometimes, John, instead of talking about the current fight or maybe, okay, well, is it a straight up, like what weight is that or something? They're talking, they're asking Ryan Garcia and Oscar Duarte, what do you think of this fight coming up? Like a complete different fight that has nothing to do with them rather than this. And then people will go, well, yeah, they're saying that after the fight. Well, Oscar didn't say anything that it wasn't a catch weight either. So it's like some people were coming up with conspiracy theories. It's like, well, why don't you just ask him what the, what the weight is that you knew it wasn't for a title. Um, We know 140, you know, if it's not for a title, it can be flexible. So there's that poundage, you know, one pound that you can always mess with at times. That's what prospects do when they come up. So I thought that was a little, little overblown late if the media would, that, that was there would have just done their job. But, um, you know, that would be a great fight next. But let's talk about this. Devin Haney, Regis Prograde. I do think Regis Prograde is getting undervalued here, John. Um, 
Of course, you'd have to talk about Devin Haney's jab. It is a very solid jab. At times, he can, well, a lot of times he can win a fight off of it. Um, but in the right setting, and even if you look, I saw a couple people mention this, one of them, Lukey Boxing, someone else did too, about, well, actually, you know, Regis got a pretty underrated jab himself. Now, I'd say overall, whether it's in the middle of the ring, on the move, or coming forward, I'd say Regis is, uh, or I'd say Haney's is a better jab. But I, I think some of the reflexes, some of the counter, um, just just overall skill with power, um, not just knock you out power, but he can take a good shot and he can deliver a good shot. He can, he can work on the inside really well. He had a really close fight with Taylor. Um, some people thought he did enough to get it. Some people thought it was a draw. I was okay with Taylor winning the fight, but I did think it was really, really competitive. Um, you know, he's coming off a bad performance as Regis, um, whereas Haney's coming off a, a really good performance and a fun fight. You know, that's another one that people were calling a robbery, but it was a competitive fight no matter who you thought. I, I think that, as we know, um, you know, I hate to sound like a broken record, but we got to mention it. You know, I, there's no way you can watch Haney and Loma and say that was a robbery either side. I just don't see it. It was a, it was a close fight. But, um, you know, Regis has problems cutting off the ring. Um, as much damage as he can do on the inside and body punching and all that, um, he's not really all that good at cutting the ring off, and it showed in his last fight. What are your thoughts overall beyond a jab in, in like an overhand right or a one-two just in general or a lead right or, you know, it's not like Haney shows a lot of his game either. Uh, his can be basic, very effective, but basic. Um, whereas I thought going to the body and some of the, you know, the punch combinations, mixing it up and going to the body, I did like what I saw out of Haney against Lomachenko there. And I thought that was very effective. Um, what are your thoughts going in on this one? And does that plus number look juicy enough to, to take a flyer out of it for uh, Regis Program? Um, he, he is a bigger underdog than I expected. And I've always been a big Prograis fan. but And this is a good fight. But for a lot of the reasons, I, I think you hit on the right points, Chris, about other possible opponents and what they're asking for and things like that, which I'm going to get into some as well. But, but first, just the matchup, Haney and Progray. I've always been a big Progray fan, but I am in that camp. I do see some people talking that way who know what they're talking about, and, and that's the way I feel too. I think at 34, he, he's not that tall for a 140-pounder. I, I just This is a fight that to me, like in theory, if it would have happened maybe like – you know, two, three years ago, I'd be picking Progray because I always liked him for some of the reasons you talked about. What I what I liked was about him was he was a he was a guy that had some skills. He had good amateur pedigree. He's been open about it that he he kind of like choked in the Olympic trials. You know, he, he talks that way about it himself, and and then you know, it happened to Larry Holmes too. You know, against Dwayne Bobick, he got stopped. Um. Just saying that Progress openly said that himself. He felt like it set himself back, you know, with marketing, of course, didn't make the Olympic team. And, you know, but he had that talent. Could see that 
he, he I like his combo of how he would you know even just keep his hands low but but use the head movement and re- reflexes to not take punches as he was coming in to use his power but use his head to kind of slip punches and be real aggressive. He's a legitimate student of the game. He, he's a boxing historian himself, which I always liked. A lot I liked about the guy, but, you know, like him, like him, or, like him or not, I, I did see, and, you know, it, it kind of ties in with stuff with the sport too, because he got let go by Yahoo in the last week or so, but I saw Kevin Isle write a little article about it, which, you know, whether you like him or not, I, He's been around a long time, and I, I agree what he's saying. Kind of, you felt like I, I feel like this way too with Pro Gray. It's just for whatever reason, it just feels like over these last few years, like since the Taylor fight, that he kind of missed his window. And you and I have talked about this before, Chris, too. Just with the marketing and money, we kind of thought that it would be natural that when PBC had all those good welterweights that he would have gone over there and, and tried to jump in that mix, make some money, getting some real good memorable fights. Not only did he not really do that, uh, you know, over any kind of significant period of time, then he, he signs with Matchroom and he was straightforward about why his reasoning for doing that. He said was he felt like kind of, he would be the guy there and you know, Hearn with the limitations he has in the U S I mean, I think when he signs these guys in the U S I mean, he's focused more on the British game, but he, he does try to get him a fight if he can. I mean, in other words, he's gotten him this Haney fight, which is a fight that people care about. And for the way the sport is now, Haney's certainly one of the bigger names and he's the, the legit lightweight champion of the world lineal. And uh, for the alphabet fans, he picked up those belts. So, Significant, like like you you said, setting it up. I mean, significant that now at 140, Progress fighting a guy like that, though the legit lightweight champion. That's certainly a big name that Hearn's getting him. But it just feels like I am in the camp where it just feels like Progress kind of missed his window. I mean, he had a good win against Zapata, which was you know on a on a pay per view that just nobody was going to buy. yeah, it's just like again, the program was on Triller cards, and that probably wasn't even bad exposure for him. That's when Triller had a little mojo for the first couple cards they had. But again, this sporadic kind of strange promotion. You know, he was on the some in Top Rank, and yeah, he missed TV weight on the PBC when they were lining him up <laughs> for a deal. That's a right. great way to put it. It does seem like he missed his window. I think he missed his window, and I was a big, big fan of the guy, and I hated to come to that conclusion. But as now he's getting this, you know, arguably that in the Taylor fight, the biggest fight of his career. And and I I was also, you know, of the view that with that Taylor fight, I think he could have gotten a close decision. He rallied at the end, swelled Taylor up. Draw would have been fine, and I'm with you certainly wasn't a robbery that Taylor got the decision, but Progray could have got that, but he never built on it. And even though, and you know, even at that time, let, let's look at it because that series is long gone. It, it it was arguable as to whether even that was a good career move to enter that, you know, world boxing super series, even though he did end up facing Taylor. Look for us sensibilities and, and let's face it, you know, the game, you want to make money marketing, 
was that really a good move? It was kind of questionable at the time, and he fought well against Taylor. Probably not quite as well as he could have, but that'll win. But again, draw Taylor slight or give Taylor a slight edge. Still, it shouldn't have set him back that much. It was a good enough of a fight and a tight enough of a fight. But career, you, you could argue even that wasn't the greatest career move. And then after the Taylor fight was really where it seemed to get off track. Got the good win against Zapata, uh, best performance in recent years for him. But, you know, Zapata did take a lot of a lot of damage against Brancheck and was down repeatedly. That was one of the best fights I've ever seen. Or that's one of the best fights anybody will ever see. And you came back, you took out Josue Vargas, but you you, you can rightfully question you know, how, how much did Zapata have left in the tank when he got stopped by Progray. Probably not that much, but that was still a good win. But the career just kind of went off track. I, I thought at this stage of Progray's career, he would be in the welterweight division and have fought some bigger names. That didn't happen. Now he's at 34. He's got to take on Haney. I just have a feeling we're past the window where we've got the best Progray. And that's where I can see what you're saying, Chris, where Progray's got pops, so it's not like he's a guy that can't get you out of there. He can, and I think he, you know, it lands the right shot. He's got enough power. He can take out Devin Haney. So it's not like there's no risk there for Haney. But I just think Progray, 34 years old, not that tall for the weight, fighting a slick boxer. I think Haney's Haney's just going to outbox him, you know, over the 12. I don't think it's going to be that thrilling. And Haney should should get a decision because I just think Progray's Progray's past his best at this point. Of course, that would be a young Devin Haney, but I think were, were the fight to have happened like say three years ago, I I would I would have picked Progray, but I, I'm going to go with Haney now. I do feel actually comfortable picking Haney. I just think that he's going to be able to uh, you know just jab and outbox him. Now, like you said, he, Haney did fight in a little different manner against Lomachenko than we might have expected. And I'm with you, no robbery. I think he did enough to win it in a tight fight. Uh, Lomachenko, probably a little, you know, you know, he's not probably, he's definitely slicker than uh, Progray. Although Progray can box and Progray's got more power, but you'd, you'd have to think that Progray's not going to be quite as difficult of a boxing package for a boxer like Haney, as Lomachenko was. So, um, now I think, you know, certainly Progray brings more than Cambosos, but, and he brings more power than Lomachenko, but Lomachenko's a little bit slicker, and, and Haney was able to survive that test. Again, you know me, when it's just one basically alphabet weight class, I, I don't put stock in that, you know, just the five-pound jump. That to me, that's that's not an effect. You know, I always go with the original eight rule on that, which I think does work well. You know, where Haney to be fighting uh, Errol Spence, you know, in this in this assignment, we look at the weight. Uh, but just fighting Progray, we don't look at the weight. I mean, even if Progray beats him, I'm not going to say it's – and that's always the quick narrative for people. But I'm not going to say it's because Haney moved up to 140 pounds. You just, just give the Progray, Progray the credit if he wins. I don't think weight's a factor. But I think age is – and height, and I think that uh, you know that's that's enough for me for for Haney to outbox him. But then, in the setup to the fight, I just do want to add a little bit as well. 
I think this is one good to use the original eight weight class test that I always like to do to get perspective historically on the value of a fight. Um, Haney, the legit lightweight champion, there's no doubt about that to me. Again, forget about alphabets. He may never fight at that weight again, but he, he's, he's the man. He's the lineal champ. It's a historical division. So were this to be in other eras going way back historically, it'd be like he's moving up to welterweight and fighting. You know, I think if there were only eight weight classes, would Pro Gray crack the welter, you know, 147 top 10? I think he would. You know, he wouldn't be at the top, but but I think he'd, he'd be in the top 10. So that's, you know, that's meaningful. But then it gets to what you said, and I agree with you, what you were getting at 100%. And this is, from the fans' perspective, what we've got to keep looking at and advocating. But even in, in a bygone era, is the lightweight champ moving up to take on a top 10 welterweight, a pay-per-view, or, or back in the day, a closed-circuit fight? Hell no. <laughs> the answer actually is no. If he, if he goes up and he's fighting Terrence Crawford, see, this is what we're not getting as fans. Like, if Devin Haney was taking on Terrence Crawford Saturday night, that you know the lightweight champ fighting the welterweight champ, that's a pay-per-view fight. I mean, you might say, well, he doesn't have that much of a chance or Crawford's definitely going to take it, but it's still, that, that's a pay-per-view or a closed-circuit fight. But fighting the equivalent of a top-10 welterweight, again, because you've you got to keep some perspective. Even if you're looking at 17 weight classes, Pro Gray's not the legitimate 140-pound champ. I mean, like Taylor or not like him, you know, he had that. He lost to Tiafimo. So you're, you're bringing out the right people because then it goes back to another problem with this fight is, and this is, I do think this is where Haney can be criticized a bit because even though it's a tough opponent, look, whatever you think about either of them or love both of them, not like both of them, like one, not like the other, Tank and Ryan Garcia got it on. You know, that, that argument about four new kings, a lot of people knocked and poo-pooed it. I, I consider myself a historian of the sport. I didn't, not that those people had proven as much, but with the talent level, I thought when people were getting excited about that at lightweight, it was legit. In other words, you know, Ryan Garcia, Devin Haney, you know, Javante Davis, Tiafimo Lopez. But now where the critics are right, only two of them have fought, Davis and Garcia. So you got to give them credit, but like, like just like you were talking, Chris, you know, with Tiafimo Lopez in the neighborhood, um, you know, you, you've got Ryan, you know, Ryan, Ryan Garcia in the neighborhood, Tank Davis in the neighborhood. Why are you fighting Regis Progray? And that, that's the problem with nowadays, you know, with, with a lot of stuff. I mean, it, it's not that it's an easy fight. It's not that it's not a good fight, but it's not, it's not the best fight. It's not, it's not you know the the most intriguing fight or or one of the most intriguing fights we could add out there. It's a good fight, and for a fight that's just a good fight, it shouldn't be pay per you know it, it shouldn't be pay per view. We we just got to say it. It's going to fall into that black hole. I'm going to keep talking about that black hole because it just adequately describes a lot of these things with all promotions now. So it's a good fight that falls into the black hole, and what does that ultimately do for boxing? You know, if we're going to have pay-per-view, let, let's make it a great fight or one of the, the best fights that could be made nowadays. And, you know, this is this is just a good one. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Nowadays, um, 
it, it stands out, but it, it probably, like you said, shouldn't. It just solid. But I do like the Trevor. You know, it took a while for Haney um, to fight a real fight, per se. Obviously, as a prospect, you're going to be moved. He, he was moved in a different way because, you know, he had to go to Mexico. He's under, you know, the age of 18, and he was on Showbox a little bit. He got over to the zone, and, and a couple of those fights, eh, not, not really doing much. But, you know, really ever since he started with the Linares, you know, in the in the run, the Diaz, and Cambosis twice, and now Loma, and then Progre, that's a good string of fights, you know, c- compared to what many other five fights in a row. So I definitely like that he's uh, – because, you know, you can move to 140 and get a much easier fight, you know. Um, well, now you, you could say you like, like a, good. I just want to jump in, Chris, because sorry to interrupt, but that's a I, I want to actually just interrupt because you're making a really good point. Now let's, you know, let's look at the other side of what I just said. You make a good point that I agree. Like I could even then, like let's say, I if I wanted to, the argument you're making for Devin Haney though is a good one. To me, that would be like the Canelo argument. For me, the argument in favor of Canelo was always like, well, people would say he could have fought this guy, he could have fought that guy, and then you look at, just like you described, you look at his last five fights compared to the rest of the sport, and you're like, well, the five fight, the five guys he just fought are much tougher than the string of five fights that anybody else just fought. And, you know, that's, a, that's, that's what a Devin Haney fan or just not even fan or just somebody making the argument for him could say just what you're saying. Say like, well, you know, Cambosos twice, Lomachenko, Progre, okay, you're, you're, you know, poking some holes in it, but compare that to everybody else's last four, you know, everybody else except for Canelo's last four fights. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I do like his first fight going up at a class, even though, you know, he's clearly made it um, known that it's, you know, it's tough to make 135 or whatever. Um, I think it is a quality opponent, no no doubt. Anytime you go against a top five opponent, especially, you know, even in a weak uh, division, which I wouldn't call 140 a weak division, um, I, I do like that. But um, So you're siding with Haney by decision, but a couple of yes, years ago I am, you maybe I, would go pro-gray? Yeah, a couple of years, uh, couple of years ago I'd go pro-gray. And, and you're right, you know, pro-gray is definitely a quality opponent. There's no doubt about that because he, in any era – at this stage, if you divide it up that way, he'd, he'd be a top 10 guy. So he's a quality – and he's got pop. So, you know, whenever somebody takes on a quality opponent who has pop, there is an additional risk factor because you can get caught with that one shot. So there, there's definitely some risk here that Haney's taking. But I just think where Progray's at, 34, age 34 in the 140-pound division, he's kind of a guy that – was relying on some some reflexes and kind of power. Like I always get to that Emmanuel Stewart thing, that that those guys don't last as don't last as long. I mean, you got to get Progress thirty four is even an advanced stage already. He's been effective. You know, knocked out Zapata recently, and that Zaria performance. The guy didn't want to fight. I mean, yeah, Progress looked terrible, but I wasn't quite as critical as some others because that was almost like a throwaway. You know, to me, the guy that just didn't want to fight. So I didn't put too much stock in that. But I just think he's – with the style he needs to be his most effective. And when he, when he was at his best, 
you know, putting an intelligent pressure on opponents and then getting them out of there. I don't think he's that guy anymore. And I think he, he would need to be that guy to beat Haney. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it. Now, you know, we have seen a decrease in quality on these uh, Heisman post-Heisman Trophy award shows. Uh, you know, the, 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 the top-ranked ESPN show that they do every year. Um, but I, I'd probably have to say, unless well, off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure this main event is by far the most like the worst out of them. Um, Robici Ramirez, really interesting fighter, you know, having lost his first fight. Um, he's been a little up and down on his performance um, as far as like finishing a guy that he could maybe finish and then, but then he'll finish someone that you're like, Oh wow, that was, that was pretty good. Um, the opponent, you know, Espinosa, there's just nothing there, for, you know, nothing there for it. And so I'm not, not really a big fan of this main event. A lot of people are speculating that they're going to try because, you know, anyway, at some point soon, is going to be up at featherweight. And this kind of assures him that he'll get the fight. Um, it kind of uh, put him on what should be still a decent uh, to, to very good rating just because it'll follow. Um, but, you know, the other fights on the card, I mean, you do have some prospect stuff, no doubt. Um, you'd probably have to say uh, Jahi Tucker um, going against that Francisco Vern, that I think it's Daniel Vernon. Vern, that that's actually a really close competitive fight. Um, now whether that's going to be part of the broadcast or not, a lot of times it is a longer broadcast, so it probably will be. Um, but yeah, kind of you know Xander Zayas returns, uh, you know against a guy that. Well, someone has it a plus 700, but other than that, it's plus 900, you know, plus 1100, Jorge Portia, um, Bruce Carrington, you know, is on the other card. Andy Cruz did have a replacement. Um, so that, that could have been interesting, you know, because it, it was Hector uh, Tanahara um, originally. Um, so I got to admit that this card, you know, maybe it's best, because they're going head to head, maybe maybe it's best. You know, it's still going to take away from you know Haney Prograde, but um, I guess if you're going to go head to head with something, it might as well be this card. Because to be fair, this this is pretty disappointing considering this is one of their best spots of the year. Yeah, and it and and some people say why does boxing do this to themselves? But hey, competition's fair. Um, in other words, when top rank and you know PB, they, they've all done it to each other. You know, top rank, they'll never admit it, but they are doing it on purpose. In other words, they know the pro Haney's the same night, and they're saying to hardcore fans, "Well, we'll we'll give you a show for free. No no need to drop uh, drop the coin on that Haney pro gray uh, card, even if that's a better fight." And that's what a lot of people will do, and you, you can't totally blame them, but. Yeah, Ramirez is a guy I, I like, and, you know, at the risk of overly generalizing, you do like, you, you've kind of seen some of these, the Cuban fighters who come from the Cuban score, school more recently, it almost seemed like they took the criticism of not being entertaining uh, personally, you know, guys like Morel and, 
and, and, and others and, and started taking people out. You know, Ramirez, after that first pro loss, like you said, he's been up and down with it, but he, he has had moments where he's, he's at least pressed to get the stoppage. He, he's tried to punch with more authority. There's been some good there with him with that, but recently, you know, he probably is a guy that a lot of people aren't anxious to fight, but, and again, that, that problem with, they would be more anxious, but top rank's not willing to pay Ramirez and a good opponent. That, that's the problem with all these promotions. So we, here we are, we have a, a good spot on ESPN after the Heisman broadcast with a, with a terrible matchup. I mean, I think I saw Ramirez was like a minus 1100 favorite or something like that. So you don't want that for your main event. And that team goes throughout the card. You look, you've got Richard Torres on there fighting, uh, you know, Curtis Harper, and then Carrington's a prospect I like. Uh, you know, he, he's he's on there, but these, they're not fighting it. You know, they're not fighting anybody. And what's really become strange about this ESPN top-ranked deal is, said it a lot of times, but got to say it again, they – they got it started in response to what PBC was doing with their time buys and getting on network, making a, making a bid to try to build up some new pay-per-view stars and to compete. Top rank felt like they had to do something like that. And ranks not, they, they haven't put two of their own guys together in a pay-per-view that's done any kind of selling it. And, and when they've tried to run one, it's been where they've had to have, you know, a, a PBC fighter involved with it or except for, you know, Haney and Lomachenko, but they only had Haney for a little bit of time and it didn't sell. So it sold like what, 140. So, you know, when they've done it, it hasn't, it hasn't sold. Like what I'm saying is it just, it hasn't built. It has, we're we're being led to believe. And you even think logically when you see these fights being thrown at us on ESPN repeatedly and these ESPN plus undercards, Oh, they're, they're building, to something, and then this is going to be the pay-per-view attraction that they're going to have, and they're going to, you know, put a pay-per-view on that's going to be big. Well, it just keeps not happening. And you, you look, Stevenson was progressing in numbers, and then they show him in the black hole of twelve thirty in the east, and, and nobody sees it, and he stinks out the joint. Uh, so now you, you know, you're doing that type of thing with Ramirez, and then you, yeah, you've got all these prospects that do look like good prospects i'm not criticizing a lot of them as prospects like you know i like carrington and torres is at least a heavyweight but and you know he was an olympic Olympic silver medalist but they're fighting nobody these time slots they're in go on late they're not getting that exposed to that much the ratings aren't that high so throwing the rhetorical question out there, you know, what's this all leading to? I, I, I'm at a point now where you think that it's supposed to be building to something, but there's not evidence that's really building to anything. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, we talked about it um, after your, uh, your segment, uh, MBO Matt uh, called and we talked a little bit about it and it's like, you know, the rumor is, you know, he's going to fight anyway next. And, you know, getting this, this exposure is nice, but it's very doubtful that the fight would be here. 
And so I don't know how much exposure you're going to get then getting him on ESPN+. And that's great if it's in Japan. That's where the gate is for anyway fights. And it's great for us. It's not on paper or anything. It's on ESPN+. Plus. So, um, sure, you could say it's a paywall. But it's still, it's like that works for us over here. Now, the morning and all that, that's a little funky. But, you know, you can go on ESPN Plus and, and just go on there and not know the results. Um, so you, you can, you know, you can get on there and, and just, you know, hit play and watch the fight. But I highly doubt this would be the fight he's going to come over for. I just, I just don't see it. Um, maybe that's the case. Maybe that's what they're gearing for. Then this would make a lot of sense. But yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, when the PBC main events on Fox started getting a little funky, we started bringing up the budget got cut, this, that, and the other. What's up with the deal? And it, it is hard to not think the same thing that, hey, they're giving us this amount of money for now. We're going to take it. <laughs> and we're, we're going to, you know, it's not that Ramirez is getting screwed on money or anything like that. He's got his, what he's got, to, you know, what he's going to make. But overall, instead of spending money not just on an opponent, but just that, on a really good fight, even if it was on a mid-level fight, you, 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 when you got a ratings bump like you do in this scenario, and we've given them credit um, plenty of times for this spot because they have had some really fun nights in this spot, it, it just seems like, well, you know, we're going to make money on this you know, event in a sense because this is what we're going to get in the main event. So it, it, it is disappointing. And it does make you kind of wonder, uh, you know, if the writing is on the wall. But, yeah, it, you know, I don't know. It, it's a bummer because I really I always look forward to, uh, you know, the, this this fight card usually. And, and, and also, like I said, it could be just a, a real prospect fight for somebody. It wouldn't even need to be a championship fight or anything like that. It could be just someone in a tough fight, you know. That's a prospect. Yeah, well, going well, against a good point. A about, gatekeeper. Good point. That'd be great. Yeah, well, a good good point about that that you reminded me too is because there's very few of them out there now. I thought Stevenson was building that momentum and he might be losing a bit, but and you know he had one of his good numbers was on one of those highs nights. Guy that is still getting good numbers is Teofimo Lopez. Now, of course, he had a a real good dance partner in Josh Taylor, but still Teofimo. For this era, for this era, yeah, you know he he, he had so, so right. So just saying there that like, if he would have been on this assignment, it would get like you said, maybe just to get somebody to you know that that's not the greatest, but he's he's been getting some ratings uh, that something like that would wouldn't have been wouldn't have been would have been good really, you know. We don't know what Tiafimo is going to do next exactly, but something like that. And yeah, you know, one thing I was going to just finish up with that ties in with exactly what you're saying, Chris, um, is on the out of the ring thing. That's what that's like my question as to just what it's going to be like if this PBC Amazon, you know, Prime rumor is true, and I have no reason to believe it's not. But but what's it going to be like? In other words, just like you were talking, is is it going to be like like I'm not saying it will be this, but to me, what would be ideal would be 
and I do believe, you know, Al Heyman's capable of this because he had the original idea. Like, I'm not saying this would happen, but, like, the ideal for the boxing fan would be if they get this new deal with Amazon Prime and then Al Heyman and, P, you know, PBC, TGB Promotions, the whole group, says we're going to go back to, like, when we were doing the time buys, we're going to try to get – or, you know, and they had a couple of showtime on CBS – you know, we're, we're going to try to get some fights that are going to try to get things going that a lot of people are going to see on Prime and and build up to some pay-per-views. Like, that would be, to me, the ideal rather than if we're going to get stuff like we just complained about with Top Rank, and PBC was starting to do that, let's face it. So if they're going to, like, pick up where they just left off and it's going to be just some showcase stuff on the prime and everything else is going to be pay-per-view. I don't think that's going anywhere. Right. But what would be ideal to me would be like kind of a restart where they say like, Hey, we're, we're cutting this new deal with prime. We want to have some good fights on prime leading to a pay-per-view, not just like showcase fights that are garbage and then everything's going to be pay-per-view. So if if you want to be an optimist, I would hope it'd be like a restart. But if it's just going to be kind of a picking up where they left off, frankly, on Showtime, where where everything good's heading for for pay per view, I, I don't think it's gonna it's gonna help that much. Yeah, and that's basically what I was gonna talk to you minorly about. You kind of just gave your thoughts on it. Um, you know, we we've gotten a variety of of uh, sources. <laughs> I use that word very lightly nowadays. Um, but we are at least hearing, you know, from solid dudes recently, Al Dawson, um, you know, has, you know, he's gone after a second source as well. You know, he had a first source, a second source. Um, he did use um, somebody in his article, some quotes from him that I, I thought that, it's cool. You can use quotes from whoever he wants. Uh, the guy he did it about, though, it's kind of – he's a pretty shaky character in boxing. Um, he does address that uh, minorly. Um, some of the stuff he says is wrong, but, he does, you know, he's – this is me talking. This guy's a dirtbag. Uh, but there's a lot of dirtbags in boxing, <laughs> you know, so I'm not trying to just separate it. But I do want to preference that – some of the quotes, we won't know until we actually see, see the deal. Um, there is a lot of talk on boxing Twitter and amongst uh, media that there's a major reset coming. And um, what's funny is there's already been a reset. I don't know if people noticed that. There's already been a reset. We just got to get rid of some of these pay-per-view fights that aren't on. And that's the, probably the other reset. Um, but it will take everybody in that. So we'll see what the structure of this Amazon deal potentially is. And it, it does sound like something is going to happen with Amazon, whether that Netflix article from a fairly well-sourced, um, you know, outlet happens or not. Um, but, you know, they, they say it's getting, like it's this week. So I will say this, if it gets announced tomorrow – Let's just say I will be doing a quick show about it. Maybe we'll get a little bit more details then, but at least we know it's official, John. Um, if you want to add any more things on it, that's cool. But we do have, you know, like an Alan Dawson and some other folks 
that are a little bit more, hey, let's try a first source, a second source, a third source, and some of these sources that are tied to the BBC um, because he does show a lot more non-biasedness than most of the media. He does a good job of that. He, you know, they, they generally give him good information. Um, but it, it, it does sound like this thing is going to happen. It's just a matter of the structure. Yeah, Al, Al's usually got good information, and he's in Vegas, uh, you know, arguably boxing capital of the world even today. Uh, probably not even much of an argument there. So, yeah, that, that's good, and I, I do take that. Uh, I, I do take you know his sporting seriously, like you said. If, if the sources aren't credible, though, you you have to, of course, you know, make note of that. Uh, but you know, from my I, the positive part of me, I'm not saying I'm, I would certainly wouldn't predict this, but what I, my wishful thinking part is. Yeah, we're in a bad reset now where everything's pay-per-view or black hole, I keep calling it, where there's just really no effort to really get any kind of widespread viewership, and, and you just keep running stuff either on pay-per-view or uh, you know, in, on platform situations where you're not going to get any viewership. The best I think we could hope for is if, like, PBC is getting an Amazon deal and they're conscious of, of wanting to reset the best they can to say back to 2015. Not saying everything was perfect, but look, it drove the competitors to do more too because that's when the zone tried to make their right. run, and that's when Top Rank went to ESPN, and we at least got better fights on ESPN than we had where we had basically nothing. Uh, even now, the ones we criticized were still better than what they were pre-2015. So things did improve for a while and then it kind of collapsed too much dealings with the alphabets and purview and showcase fights. And that's where things unravel to where we stand right now. And the best we could hope for with this PBC Amazon deal would be kind of like a going back to 2015 when, when PBC first got started and they were trying some different things and, and taking some real gambles to try to revive things with the sport, of course, to benefit themselves, but it, it was going to benefit the sport as well. And I think it did for a period of time there. Uh, that, you know, the worst case scenario would be to me would be like, this is just where they left off with Showtime, you know, on Amazon Prime. That's not good enough to me where, where that was. Uh, so that's, that's what we're going to, we, we'll, we'll find out about the deal, but, Really, Chris, as you and I know, yeah. as longtime followers, we won't know until we see what fights they're putting on Prime, uh, Prime pay per view, yeah. to know where it's really going. Yeah, and what I mean by the reset is the budgets are different. You know, the budgets are different. There's no doubt about that. That that's given. Well, we know the Fox deal went away, but just in general, that was different. ESPN's different. They're not producing nearly as many shows as the deal called for. We know, especially here, but in general, uh, the zone matchroom budget, you know, not, not as strong as it used to be. And hence, like you said, some of these fights going on pay-per-view that they shouldn't be. But that is kind of part of the reset because, uh, you know, if people are going to pay these fighters to do it, then they're going to take it, you know? So it is right. like when you have that much overpaying, 
it takes a little while to get that out of the system, I guess you could say. And some of it won't ever, you know, get out, you know, to an extent anyway. Um, if a guy can sell two plus 200,000 buys, they're probably going to put it on pay-per-view and make a little bit of money. But, um, yeah, we'll see. We, we definitely will see. Um, I don't know. I, I just, like I said, the only issue I had was it's like, well, we don't know what the deal is going to be. And then he used the guy's source where you're like, well, maybe that is the case. I could see that being the case. But if we don't know what the deal is going to be, you might as well not use that guy's quotes. I'll say that. But, um, but yeah, um, any other items that you want to discuss here uh, before you head on out there, John? No, that's about it because that's, that's important. So I'm going to be keeping my eye out for that because I always follow that out-of-the-ring stuff, I think, with how the sport is broadcasted and what the exposure is, I think it's just kind of inextricably tied to everything. If you're going to be following it, it's, it's tied to who's going to fight who at the least. So whenever people say it doesn't matter, I always laugh because of course, of course it matters in the sport that that explains you most of the time why, who is fighting who. So yeah, I, I'm really curious to see uh, what this deal is with Amazon, with PBC, if in fact that ends up being true. Yeah, we will see. We will see um, what exactly it looks like. It would be great, though, if you look at some of the investments that they're making, clearly, you know, overpaying for some stuff, even the NFL, based off what Fox was doing for the Thursday night, as far as what they were paying compared to what they're doing. I mean, if you look at the the, uh, the rumors about, well, it's pretty – Amazon's going to do a deal uh, with the NBA. It's going to be long-term. Um, whether that is, you know, they want to kind of set up either a Thursday night, um, you know, every Thursday night once football's done, or maybe Tuesday night so they can just go right at the beginning of the NBA season. Um, but when you look at the, the numbers there, you're like, wow. And I, I bring that up because, yes, we know boxing's not soccer in the NFL and the NBA. Um, but, you know, it just shows that they got a budget. We know Amazon has the budget. But if they can pay a, a healthy budget, then it doesn't matter. You know, they, they can make these quality fights like we were talking about. And if that's the case, where Gervonta and Canelo are, are only on pay-per-view, or a fight like Spence and Crawford or, you know, something where you put it together, you get it why they put that on pay-per-view. And then they'd market it, you know, that uh, that would be huge, uh, you know, especially if it's a four- to six-year deal or something like that. And, and that would be great. But like you said, we got to see it. We can't just get too pumped up even if it happens. You know, my guess is they'll have some detail. But, um, you know, we do know Al likes to keep it close to the vest till it's ready to be displayed. And I think he's definitely done a good job doing that, that's for sure. But um, I definitely don't doubt Al Heyman either. His, uh, his track record proves uh, a whole lot uh, in general, no matter what, uh, whether people think he should do interviews or not. Um, you know, but I appreciate you coming on a, a different night, John, and taking time for the show. We'll definitely talk to you next week. Enjoy the fights, my friend. Okay, you too, Chris. Great talking with you as always. Yes, sir. Take it easy.
Take care. All righty. And I will be getting into a little bit more detail of what I was talking about. Um, like I said, it's cool. But to use the quotes, like, it just it just bugs me, that's all. Because that dude's a dirtbag. And like I said, there's a ton of dirtbags. Shit, I've been a dirtbag to, let's say, a female in my youth. You know what I mean? But this is a little different. Um, but, yeah, I do want to kind of sum up some of those other fights. Like I said, I, you know, to me, Garcia looked okay. But, you know, once he started to find a home, well, actually, Duarte had some good rounds once he started to find a home for a right hand. But I thought that once he started Garcia landing big shots, uh, it got a little better, you know. But honestly, it's like that shoulder roll and turning his back. And you could see Duarte, as the fourth and fifth round came on, he was roughing him up a little bit, trying to uh, – there were some close rounds in there. I did give a, a round or two at least to uh, – well, at least, well, maybe not. I don't exactly know. Let me see. The fourth round, I did give him the fifth round. The fourth round was close. Um, but, yeah, overall, like the sixth round was close, but I thought the jab and, and, and a couple of nice combos were the difference there. Um, but they had that check hookish type, you know, left hook and move type thing. But, yeah, it was just – even in that last round where he won the fight, he was just moving way too much, wasting a bunch of energy and, and wasn't being – I don't know. He's never known to be like he'll put his punches together, but he's not known to be some high rate volume guy. But I, I don't know. He's trying to land this uppercut, especially with the right hand way too far away. Um, you know, I don't know. I just it was okay. It was okay. Um, but in that Michael Conlon, Jordan Gill, just talking that a little bit uh, further because I did get some questions about that with a little bit more detail. Um, I thought Gill won the first, well, obviously he won the first, uh, or the second round, but the first round, I thought the hooks to the body uh, were nice by Conlon, but just a few better shots by Jordan Gill. Uh, perfectly timed, left hand, uh, scored a knockdown. There was like a follow-up right hand. I don't even know if it landed or not. Uh, the last part Gill did land, maybe the last minute or so, landed big right hands. And, you know, Conlon... Looked shaky, dude. He was still throwing back, but he looked really shaky. Gill started turning up, you know, the body work. I did think Conlon, though, pot-shotting, kind of stick and move, uh, throwing in combination, going to the body. Like I said, I, I think I think he did some good work there. I gave him the third, the fourth. Could have gave him that. I gave him the sixth. I thought the flurry of uppercuts um, was probably the best moment in the sixth round. Jordan Gill you know, was pressuring, but it wasn't, he wasn't landing a whole lot. Um, but yeah, the, the left hand was 60 seconds of the round, big left hand. Um, Conlon lands some uppercuts, but, um, you know, he got knocked down. TKO, like I said, was the stoppage a little early? Some people were complaining about, you know, I get it. I think it was a little early myself. Um, but that's not to say that I, you know, don't think that he would have gotten taken care of past that, you know. Um, the Tyrone McKenney and uh, Lewis Crocker fight, um, I liked what I saw out of, out of, out of, out of Crocker. 
Um, I thought it was a, I thought it was a good fight from him. Pretty, pretty, um, you know, pretty one-sided. That's for sure. Um, you know, Crocker, the left hand to the body, the left hook to the body, and then following up with right hands to the head, I thought was pretty damn good. Um, he, when he got McKinnon on the ropes, he was countering, re- or sorry, comboing really well. Um, and, he, you know, he was definitely bringing pressure at times. At times he was on his back foot boxing really well. So, uh, but most of the time he was bringing that pressure, um, landed uppercuts, um, overhand rights, like I mentioned. Um, I just thought that McKinnon, even by the third, fourth round, he was just taking too much damage. Um, and McKinnon, though, come like fourth, fifth round, um, I think it was the beginning of the fifth round, first minute or so, definitely had a nice body attack. Um, and then like mid-round, six through eight or whatever, kind of slower, kind of slower fight. Picked back up in the last round, the jab, the body work, the hooks. Um, he closed stronger in the 10th. Two judges had it, uh, 190, 98, 92. Uh, McKinnon showed some heart because he was taking damage. I mean, even early in the fight, he was taking a lot of damage. But overall, you know, he, he was throwing some punches, but to be fair, they were mostly arm punches. Uh, McComb Maxwell, I watched that as well. Um, Comb definitely won that easy. Scored like, what was it, three or four knockdowns? I know it was the third, the fifth. Was it the eighth? Let me check my notes. It was either the eighth or ninth. It was the ninth. Okay. So the third, fifth, and ninth knocked them down pretty, pretty easy to score there. I thought the Troy Williamson, the Williamson, um, uh, uh, a Yarko. Um, I don't know how that was a split decision. I'm not saying that there wasn't competitiveness going on in the fight, but I, I couldn't. I, I don't know how you had a a card. Actually, let me check the card here. Yeah, one of the cards had it. The, the first one they read ninety six ninety four for Williamson. I did not see that whatsoever. Um, I'm pretty open-minded when it comes to this. I, you know, shouts out to the UK who are not afraid to do uh, score even rounds and stuff. I do that, you know, too. But um, I don't know, man. Uh, you know, the, the the counter with the left hand by uh, Agyarko, I thought really was doing the damage. He had a pretty good jab. He, he fought at a distance, really nice distance. Um, he started to land a couple of nice right hands early in the fight, maybe second or third round. Um, whereas, uh, Williamson, he had these little pockets of success, um, with the left hook and whatnot. Um, the fight kind of slowed down a little bit, I'd say around the fifth or sixth jabbing. I also thought that, um, Agyarko was blocking shots pretty well. Um, he started to, to counter pretty well down the stretch. The speed of it, you know, he was throwing the cleaner punches. He was faster. Pretty much easy to, to score. Excuse me. Easy to score. I, I don't – like I said, you can – I'm not saying, um, you know, it was all like Williamson didn't win a round or anything like that. But I, I just – I was a little 
well, more than a little shocked at that scorecard. That that kind of threw me off. I didn't I didn't see that at all. Like not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. Um, as far as you know, giving my full tank. Did I say full tank or full tank? I meant to say full tank. Um, with Haney and Progray, like I said, I think both of them have very good jabs. I think that's getting lost here. Um, it's not just Haney who has a good jab. Uh, you can see that when you watch both of them fight. If you look at you know landing percentage and whatnot, if you check out, I, I mentioned a couple people I saw this week talking about taking a look at the copy box, and of course copy boxes and everything. But you know, you copy box on certain things like a jab or like defense or whatever or you know accuracy. It 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 does tell you who even you know or even that you think. Now don't get me wrong, Haney has the better overall jab because I think. Um, Regis is just not as good at coming forward with his jab. You know, he reaches with it. And I was talking to a few people behind the scenes. And I also, because I like to talk, you know, to a variety of folks about fights coming up. Kind of get, you know, bounce ideas off each other or their thoughts. Also, and I've mentioned this guy plenty of times, boxing gents, okay? Um, he's definitely one of the best, if not the best, breaker-downers of these fights. He's really, really good, and he, he made a good point, and it's very true, um, about Progray with that jab. Not only does he reach, but he shuffles it. He gets a tell. Um, he shuffles his feet when he's going to throw it, and when you give a, you know, a, a smart fighter a tell and then you reach – you're really looking to get countered, either countered or just not being at that effective. And that's the thing about Regis. I do think, funny enough, he's got underrated reflexes. His counter-punching ability is underrated. Um, but, and, you know, his defense, like I said, is more reflex. He does a good job of uh, – moving his head in the upper body movement, but he does kind of become a little repetitive. Um, and, and and when on inside, like when he's not on offense on the inside, he does have that high guard that I do believe Haney's got the skill to, to find the holes and just work the body. That's the one thing about Haney. That's what I loved what I saw in the Loma fight. You, you know, go to that body, go to that body. Pause. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, Progray, his defense isn't great. You know, he does leave some holes open. I think he can both, you know, say both of them do. Um, but I just don't see, you know, at range or on the back foot counterpunching. I actually think Regis is very good at that. I think people are undervaluing that. It's just this style. I doubt Haney will come forward the whole fight. And, you know, and, and play into his best, you know, his strengths. I just don't see that happening. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but it, but if that's the case and Regis waits for Haney, this is going to be a slow fucking fight. Because I don't think Regis, I don't think, sorry, I don't think Haney will go way out of his way to do it. And for Haney, of course, establishing the jab, 
um, keeping the distance, keeping it at range, or move laterally because that's the thing. When you know, when Regis tries to cut off the ring, and that's another thing that Boxing Jim uh, did a good job of breaking down is you know he doesn't, and this is it's based off the last fight, you know for sure because he was chasing oh boy, but he doesn't move, he doesn't beat you to the spot. And we know you have to move lateral too. And he, he like early, you got to beat people to the spot. You can't, oh, the guy, okay, my opponent's moving laterally. Why don't I? You got to beat him to the spot. You got to cut off the ring. You got to anticipate. And it's not the easiest thing to do, especially if people are, you know, some fight, fighters really move a lot. Um, but I just don't think he'll be able to do it. Um, like effectively, efficiently all night. He's got to find a way, Regis, to get inside. And we know punch hold, that type of jab hold, jab right hand hold, go to the body. If it gets close on the inside hold, that that's what he's going to be looking to do, clinch. Uh, but in that, Regis has to find a way to work with the free hand and just to really clear space. If he's going to try to hold, then clear some space. Whether it's an elbow or not, I'm not saying elbow him to the face, but you got to clear some space. Um, and, 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 and then work with that free hand. If you're going to hold me, I'm going to hit you with one hand. And, and it's going to bug you. And maybe it'll be a, a warning from the ref or, or two or something. I'm not saying go ahead and get a point deducted, but you're going to have to get some work on the inside. And there are times when Haney tries to reach out and grab you too much. And I think that's where reflex timing and all that, that's where he's going to have to work Regis. Um, But yeah, for Haney, like I said, work the body, mix up your punches, throw the right hand more rather than just jab and grab. Um, But stylistically, like I said, pro grade, follows more than he cuts off the ring. And if you're doing that against fighters in the past, even the last guy he fought, um, and I'm not trying to rip on dude who he fought, like the dude's a, a crappy fighter or something, because he's not. Um, but I do have Devin Haney by decision. Now, um, I would probably, like, for instance, on my bookie, right, that that's a, a site I like to use as far as I don't always use it, use it, but I, I do like to kind of, you know, quote it a little bit here and there. Cause a lot of most people, I think every state now can use it. I guess that's another reason why um, I've used it in, you know, like I said, people can use it like the, the disc, cause I, I'm pretty confident that he'll win, which is no, you know, big, uh, Big surprise. He'll, he'll win by decision. I don't think anyone's going to stop. Like, if, if someone wins by knockout, it'll be program, in my opinion. He'll just hurt him or whatever. But straight up, you know, plus 275, plus 300 and above, is it worth taking a flyer out? Maybe. You know, I, I don't think that's the craziest thing. Um, but just straight up minus, like, like, for instance, the money line, minus 425, just – for Haney to win. You know, I probably would go with the minus 240 by decision just to at least get some sort of value because even uh, 
even like will the fight go the distance, yes or no, the yes is minus 500. So I think that if you're going to bet on Haney, you know, it is best to, um, I mean, it's probably best to make a personal bet. <laughs> you know, I know those are quote-unquote illegal, but I'm just saying. Um, but, yeah, the other card, you know, I do think uh, Liam pa- was it Paro. I think he'll beat Montana Love, but that is a close fight. I, I will say that. Um, actually, let me look at the odds on that. I'm on pro boxing odds now. That should be pretty much a close to a pick Montana Love, no surprises, a little bit of an underdog. I think the highest number is, let's see, FanDuel. Yeah, FanDuel plus 172, but it's it's right around 140, 150-ish. Um so 145 to I'm seeing Montana Love. So that that is a close fight, you know, on paper considering. I also mentioned that Jahi uh, Tucker, who that's a pick em fight with that Francisco dude. I mean, I'm looking at it. I didn't realize it was this close. Plus 112, plus 110, um, minus 105 Tucker. That's a 50-50 fight. Um, so I think that's really interesting. There's another fight. That's listed Georgia Costo and Richard Medina, um, and he's only Medina, Medina is only like a plus one twenty five, plus one thirty. Um, Ebony Bridges is taking on Yoshida. I think Bridges will win that fight, uh, but that is a fight um, that you know I've seen some folks talking about or whatever. Um, but yeah, overall, you know the main event. To be fair, is just you know. Not all that interesting. I'll be honest with you. Now, somebody said that there's a pro box fight going on right now. I didn't realize that one was on. I thought it was coming up. Um, I believe that would be next Wednesday. I thought that was the card. Um, so maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong with that. But I, someone messaged me that, and I also did just see someone online saying they're watching something. So was it lifted wrong, or is this just a different fight? By the way, um, Isaac Avalar and Mark McSayo are fighting. McSayo is a, is a clean favorite there. We do have uh, Chris Billiam-Smith, uh, Billiam-Smith against Masternock or whatever that dude's name is. Um, you know, whatever. You know, I, I think he should, you know, I think Billiam Smith should win that fight pretty pretty basically. I don't think there's too much there. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I see Ramirez winning. Um, will he win by knockout? I don't know. Um, you know, Rafael Espinosa is undefeated. Someone just said he does have 18 knockouts, so maybe he can really get his attention. Um, and someone messaged me saying that, Munez, the guy that was 11-1, he knocked him out in the first round. And like I said, when you have that many knockouts, you at least have to respect it. But I think you looked at the record, but if you're on box rec, go further into that. Because, yeah, I mean, you know, he also lost two decisions back-to-back. One guy was 2-2-1-1. The other guy was 17-6. and You know what I mean? There's not... There's just not – like I said, I hope this is a good fight, but on paper, 
Robisi Ramirez should uh, should handle his business. And Bruce Carrington is on the undercard. We do have uh, Richard Torres Jr. against Curtis Harper. Hopefully he stays in the ring, Curtis Harper. Um, and then, you know, uh, coffee, coffee, and uh, that Damien, um, uh, it's, it's Damien, it starts with a K. Uh, he's an unbeaten prospect. You know, that, those are the, like, I would say that fight in the, uh, the Tucker fight. I think those are the best fights on the card. I don't really think Xander Zayas should win fairly easily. And and I think Ramirez will too. I I don't see that being, um, you know, a big, big test. Um, so let's see. I mean, let's see if that actually is the case that, you know, that Ramirez is getting set up for Inoue once Inoue handles his, you know, once he comes to uh, 126. And that's why they're putting him in this type of fight um, where it's, you know, he should win. Um, but I don't know. You know what I mean? I, I just, uh, I don't know. It's not a good main event uh, considering the, the pop you can get with that Heisman you know, um, Heisman ceremony. They usually get a good rating there. So hopefully Ramirez puts on like a highlight reel. Some of these other card bouts turn out to be really good. That would be nice, but that is the rumor. And it makes sense, you know, that he would get uh, first crack in anyway. I just don't know what kind of package would be put together for anyway for him to fight here, you know. Now, the Ramirez side isn't going to be looking for a ton of money per se, unless, you know, he'd get more money to fight over there than he would here. Um, both of them would, right? Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, when you're doing like $10 million gates in Japan, it's hard to not fight there. So would Vegas, is Vegas ready to invest in him? Um, you know, are they hoping for, like, you know, in the near future he keeps going up and weight and Inoue said he's open to fight Gervonta? You know, now that would bring people to Vegas. That's for damn sure. But other than that, I just, I don't know, man. We'll see. We'll see what goes on. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and bring in Carcino. Carcino for life. What's going on, Carcino? How are you doing on this, uh, on this Wednesday night, my friend? Well, I'm doing great, man. Boxing is back, thriving, man. Oh, yeah, I'm feeling it. Feeling the vibe. I really like this uh, this pro-gray, uh, you know, Haney fight, man. Uh, but before we get to this weekend, what did you think of Ryan Garcia's performance against Oscar Duarte? He definitely moved a lot. He was flashing this uh, knockoff you know, shoulder roll to the point where Derek James told him to stop shoulder rolling because you're getting hit. He was turning his back. I don't think it's as bad as people thought about it, but it definitely wasn't a great performance. Um, And then obviously, you know, there are some people that thought Duarte, you know, wasn't hurt enough. But, you know, the old saying is, dude, get up by the count of eight then. Don't work. If you're on the mat and and they're counting nine, 
you're going to get counted out. So that's on you, Oscar Torte. But what do you think overall of Ryan Garcia's return before we get into the Denny, Devin Haney program? And then also, I almost forgot, I do want your take on David Benavidez and Demetrius Andre and all that because you were, uh, you know, chilling hanging with the fans and whatnot, doing your thing down in Florida, so you weren't able to call in for that. We can't forget about that. Oh, yeah. Well, let's start there. I wanted to go to the start off with the Charlo, the return of Charlo. We'll do it that way. Uh, When Charlo didn't make weight, I knew what he was doing. Uh, Jose Benavides has just become like a journeyman now instead of a real contender anymore in boxing he can no longer make welterweight because he's a welterweight fighter and now he's at a weight class where he normally walks around at so now he's fighting at 160 and he trained for a fight at middleweight but this fight ended up being at uh 166 because charlo couldn't make the weight no discipline to make it didn't try even on the on the second attempt he came in weighing higher he came in higher. Suffer. That's never good. He just sat back and drank water, I guess. Yeah, he knew he wasn't going to attempt to try to lose the weight because it wasn't going to happen. You're six pounds overweight. Come on. You're not trying. You know, it wasn't even close to making the weight. He knew what he was doing. Um, he came in heavy, and he looked it. He's a bigger guy. They put him in with Jose, who's not a big one-punch puncher. He's, he was a slick fighter, but at well, he's a welterweight. So he's an oversized welterweight. That's why they put him in there with Danny Garcia when Danny made his middleweight debut, which I don't know how they're gonna he's gonna campaign there because he's not he wasn't even a fifty four fighter. So now Jose's just a guy that you can put in the ring and get a good payday off of, he'll give you good work, but he's not a middleweight either. So Jose couldn't hurt him, but the same problems and flaws with Charlo were still there. The inactivity, the um, he's got good combination punches when he throw them, but there's no defense. Um, just you know, well he's been off for two and a half years, so that's gonna be there. But when you don't, when you don't uh, commit to doing the things that you need to do, as far as you know showing me something different, like something you've worked on. You can tell he has not worked on boxing at all. He is not really focused. His focus has been whatever it is that he's been doing lately. Like whatever this mental health trip he's on or whatever has got him, he's totally not the same fighter he used to be. And then you have the fight going the way it was, just an oversized guy versus a guy who can't hurt him. So, of course, Benavidez was hurt by this guy. and You know, he's not the same type of fighter since his knee was destroyed. He became a stationary fighter. So that's basically that fight. Now, the David Benavidez fight, um, another another fight where a guy is fighting out of his weight class. Uh, Demetrius Andre is really a 154 fighter, period. He cannot campaign at 168. That's just, that's like too big for him because especially someone like David 
who walks around at like 180, 190 and sweats down to 168. That's a whole different world than fighting someone that's, that um, is just naturally like at that weight and campaigns and fights at that weight who's smaller. So you run into a big 168 who could take your punches and come back with something that you can't take. And a lot of people who move up in weight don't realize that's the name of the game. It's not about what you can dish out. It's about how much you can take at these higher weights. And a lot of people think that's easy. Like, oh, he can make it. He walk around it that way. He's a big boy. Yeah, but he's not used to getting hit by those big boys. It's a whole different world. This is why they took Errol Spence, who Cam started his career off at 154, and moved him down to 147 because those big guys were rocking him at 154. So they said, well, let's you start. You need to campaign your career at 47 at welterweight. You're going to have to make that way because 54 is just not for you. These guys are too big. So when you get older, maybe you'll fill in, you know, as you get older in the game, we'll move you to 54 and see how your career worked then. But you need to campaign at 47, and that was a smarter move for them. David Benavidez goes into this fight. They had a great game plan against David Benavidez. Uh, when the fight first started, what he was doing was changing the angle and giving him looks. David Benavidez could not get a range. And David's problem is, and what will give him a problem against Canelo, is the fact that David does not jab. He refuses to jab. I don't know what his problem is when it comes to using the jab, but he just refuses to jab. He wants to just throw power shots and hooks. He just doesn't want to jab. And early on, when he was throwing these shots, Demetrius Andrade was, uh, Andre rather, was getting under the shots. He was getting low enough to change the angles, and he would move and throw combinations, get really low, tie them up, turn them, and start over and reset. But he's using and exerting a lot of energy. And I said, wow, this is a lot of energy for just like two rounds. So... And with these two rounds in the bag, this is going to create a whole different element. Now, I'm sitting here saying I don't know how long he's going to be able to do this, cause, but if he keeps bag, banking these rounds, you know, it's going to get harder for David. But here's the problem that Andre's going to do. He's going to run out of gas. And before I can even say that, he got hit with a bomb <laughs> trying to basically – you know, shoulder roll, and he got caught in between the guard of a perfect, I mean, that was a hard shot. That right hand was so hard, and that left hook. I said, oh, Jesus. David was throwing nothing but power, and from that point, he never, like, he never recovered. He never, he tried to fully recover and pull up some, you know, some form of offense, but he's too small. And he knows it, too. He knew that this weight is just too much. It made no sense to send him back out there. I know he had a lot of heart. He went back out for the one round he should have never went back out there for. But, yeah, that fight was over. But so do you think Andre, David. Don't you think Andre's at least a 160-pounder, though? Because he hasn't fought at 154 since, like, 2017 or something. Yeah, I'm just saying that's, that's his golden weight class. 
he probably can't make 54 anymore. So he probably can campaign at middleweight and get away with that. But obviously, uh, 68 is yeah, 68 is too big for him. Uh, middleweight would probably be something more, you know, compromisable for him. But it's the fact that he's fighting David too, who's actually like a 180 guy, like a real big guy. Like other 168 guys, he probably could beat. You know, he'll probably beat those guys because they're probably smaller guys that moved up too. David was always a big guy sweating down to these weight classes. And he can no longer make 60, so that's it. David cannot make middleweight anymore, so now he's got to settle in at 68. But I think he's going to go to 175, might be the second Mexican heavyweight champion of all time before it's all said and done. But uh, David is definitely a big boy. So that's that's another thing. And plus, him throwing combination punches. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Him throwing combination punches. And that was the best conditioning I've seen him in a fight in a long time. But he took this very seriously. More than the uh, more than the plant fight, he was in better shape for this fight. He was he was locked in. And then you could tell too. He was he was a lot different than how he was in the plant fight. Uh, the plant fight, he was slow, uh, methodical. It looked like the lights were too bright for him. He fought nervous early on, and then as Plant got tired down the stretch, you know, it made for a closer fight. But Plant was Plant was doing well on him for about five, six rounds. But going into a fight with Canelo, I see Canelo having an, an, an advantage in one situation, and not with his ring IQ, but with the fact that Benavidez doesn't jab. And because he doesn't jab, you're giving Canelo a chance to get close and land some heavy shots on you. And Canelo hits a lot harder than Andre. And you can't give Canelo those type of shots and those type of body shots that he's going to take on you. So with that being said, we move on to Ryan Garcia. Now, I was excited to see this fight. Because Duarte knocked out Alex Martin, who's a very tough fighter that we know up here in Chicago. And I'm like, wow, he got a knockout over Alex Martin? So that that's if you beat Alex Martin, that's normally by decision if you beat him. He's a very talented uh, guy at that weight class. So I said, okay, well, I got to pay attention to uh, Oscar Duarte and Dorothy's problem in this fight was he was beat from the contract side. Um, they were in a 24 by 24 ring. That was not 20 by 20. That's mistake one. And all everything that Ryan was talking about, they're against me. They want me to lose. They started. He chose Oscar Dorothy. <laughs> this was like, it was all like a marketing ploy of like, they're all against me. They want me to lose. It's like, you chose. Oscar Duarte. <laughs> you could say, no, no, no. We didn't say, hey, here's Oscar Duarte. You chose him. You said, oh, I want to fight Oscar Duarte. Oscar thought, De La Hoya thought you were nuts. But he chose and said that's the fight that he wanted. Next, as the comeback fight. 
since they couldn't get the Roly fight right away, so they went ahead and did this fight. Now, the Roly fight, they've been working on for a while, and we'll get to that. But that was the, and then the inexperienced referee. Now, this is, that's the mistake number two, whoever this referee was. And once that happens, you saw a whole different era show up in this fight. This guy was officiating terribly for three rounds. Anything Oscar Duarte did when he had momentum and had Ryan, like, on the ropes while he was resting, because I knew their strategy was this guy's going to burn out. This kid's going to burn out, and we're going to catch him with things. Oscar's problem is he doesn't jab. I don't think he threw one jab the entire fight, not one. Everything was power punches and feints to get close. He used the shoe shine method to try to get in there and throw feints with his hands. That's an old Mexican technique where they throw their hands up and try to use their hands like they're, like they're padding almost, and they're feinting so you don't know. It throws your timing off on defense when they're coming in. So he's a rhythm-like fighter, too. So if he gets momentum going, then it's hard to, if you stand there and try to match him, it's hard. He is a real hard, upper-body, tough, tough guy. Now, the problem that you're having is with Ryan Garcia, you're giving him way too much to work with. He's fast. He's, he's got a strong left hook. And you're giving him a chance to be first every time. And by using that style that he used, it, he doesn't, it's hard to counterpunch when you're going to fight that way. So you're giving Ryan Garcia all this space to move around. Then, now, now that he's got a 24 by 24 ring, then on top of that, being in a 24 by 24, you give him the no jab so he's not worried about you throwing a punch first. So now he gets to, he gets to dictate what he wants to do and how he wants to do it. It's all up to you. So everything was in his uh, corner to win this fight. Um, he he won a lot of rounds early, but the commentating is just so terrible. I, I mean, I, I was like, I got to make a video on this because this this commentary this year for boxing has been almost god-awful to listen to. It has been terrible. The last and couple like, years have just gone like downhill. The last, it is so uh, the last bad. couple of years, it's gone downhill in a major way, man. It, it's been rough. It really has. It, it just sucks. Oh, it's, it's, it was God awful. But um, getting back to the fight, well, I'm going to get back to the commentary in a second, but back to this fight. <laughs> As the fight slows down, I said when, when I see Ryan starts to tire because the way he's fighting, he fights like a, it's like what Bane said to Batman. <laughs> You fight like young men. <laughs> Nothing held back. Honorable, but mistaken. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it was a mistake, and I said, "Oh, this is this is gonna hurt him down the stretch," because Duarte is not really using a lot of energy. He's circling the ring. He's using a lot of energy early, and I said, "Wow, you know, I know he's young, but still, this is really taxing." to use this kind of energy early, moving around, 
uh, throwing these punches and combinations and moving and moving, and he's getting closer. You know, and then every time he got close and had him, like, in the corner and Duarte is getting ready to get on a rhythm, the referee comes right in, breaks up the action, get in between him, always when he has some momentum. He comes in and breaks it up, say, hey, that's a little blow. Hey, that's a blow behind the head. He's turning his head. <laughs> He's turning his head. He was turning his blaming. whole back a bunch of times, too. Yeah, yeah. He's hitting him in the side there, and he's like, hey, you're, you're hitting him in the back. No, I'm not. He's turning his back <laughs> as I'm doing it. So now Oscar is gun shy to throw the right hand because every time he was throwing the right hand, because he, English, he's not that fluent with English at all. So, but he knows, like, the referee is warning him for these things, saying he's going to take a point from him. So now he's holding, like, he wanted to throw the right hand a lot, and he held it and was just throwing the left a lot because he couldn't throw the right. So the corner was saying how he could throw the right hand. And he's like, you're not throwing enough. And he tried to tell him, like, this referee was penalizing So he they was like, well, throw the uppercut with the right hand. So that's when he starts surprising Ryan when he throws he throw the left hook that he would throw the right right uppercut underneath that. And most of his success started to come once Ryan went to the shoulder roll technique where he wasn't throwing a lot of punches. He was trying to rest and let Oscar, you know, kind of get get his win, you know, get so get his roll off. But this is a dangerous time for him that he can get hurt. And then in the seventh round, Ryan got seriously hurt. And it happened so fast because the announcement is so terrible. They don't need to see it. And they don't understand what's going on whatsoever. As we got Chris Manning, who used to work for Sports Illustrated, he was terrible in it. And then <laughs> boxing wasn't even the sport he covered. And I'm like, you didn't even cover boxing at <laughs> Sports Illustrated. I'm like, I know you, Chris Manning. And now you had a job at HBO, right. and I'm like, how do you get this job? Now he's on the zone, and I'm like, why is this guy even speaking? To say the dumbest things I've ever heard. Is, is he doing the shoulder roll because he's still hurt from the, the, the body punch from Tank? Is, is that punch still, that, that blow still hurting him? I'm like, are you serious? Did this man just say that? <laughs> Like, uh, he going to the shoulder roll because he still has an injury from the tank fight from a body shot? Like, and then he had the nerve to say that at the end of the fight. Is this why you, you, you went, went to the shoulder roll? Was you, like, protected an injury that you suffered doing the? I'm like, what is this guy doing? Like, how did they put a microphone in front of him and let him speak to the general public? I'm like, this guy is a process. But, no, the uh, the only problem was that Duarte wasn't going to jab, so he was never going to be the one to dictate the offense first unless he was invited in by Ryan. Ryan had the total control of the ring. But he got caught trying to throw that left hook again, the one that he ended up hurting him with, in the seventh round. And when he was in the corner, Duarte was throwing a left at the same time. And it clipped him because he was looking right at Dorothy to hit him with that left, that counter left hook when he was coming in around his guard, which he did, but he got clipped in the process stepping out. 
And that little short shot, that was enough. So he was buzzed, and he knew it. So he ran the entire rest of the seventh round. I mean, pull out, don't stop me, here I go. He did not even in the round, Even in the round he stopped him, he was moving way too much. Yeah, he was still buzzed. He was still buzzed from what just happened in the seventh. That's why I said that knockout saved him. He got saved by that knockout because he was buzzed from the seventh round, and they were they were bringing up like, oh, this is bad. This is looking like De La Hoya Trinidad. <laughs> like, what made him just get on the bike? They missed it. I'm like, y'all missed it. I'm like, he took, he caught, he got clipped as they were punching at the same time. He got clipped, and he landed his shot, but he got on the bike, and that was it. He used all of that 24, 20 by 24 ring. Oscar couldn't cut him off. And he walked into a shot in the eighth round and got buzzed. And it was a great shot, great counter shot. He was hitting him with it all night. Coming in, I mean, they had a great – Derek James had a great game plan for him, uh, for Oscar Duarte style. You know, when he ducks down, he's getting ready to punch. Clear. If he's standing out there not doing something, if he's rocking or whatever, that's when you can hit him because he's not set. He's only going to punch once he bends his knees. Once he comes in, he bends his knees, he's getting ready to punch. So you should see that right away. Uh, Time him with the uppercut when he bends his knees. That uppercut shot will be there. The right uppercut will be there. Then you, the counter left hooks and the uppercuts, that, that definitely will start your combinations with the jab. All of that was, was great. Now, Roley is who they want next. Cause, and I'm like, this tells me this is a Jake Paul type of move here that he's not really sold on himself because why would you call out Roley? Oh, Roley's got a belt. They've given Roley a belt just to try to make this a fight. Like, everybody knows what Roley is. Like, Roley got beat up by this old guy, this old veteran fighter, and he just wants to have a knockout on Roley because Roley beat him up in sparring once. And here's the danger for this fight with Ryan. Unless he gets a 24 by 24 ring again and have these same advantages, that's a winnable fight for him. Very winnable. And he could knock Roley out. The only thing about Roley, and he knows, is that Roley is strong. Roley is is really strong at that weight class. And what Roley could do is he, he punched awkwardly. If he catch you with an awkward shot, he could hurt Ryan. But it's too far, few, and in between, and right. I don't see Roley winning that fight. I see him winning that fight in early in Roley's career, but not now. I mean, in Ryan's career, but not now. Yeah, I see it as a really boring fight, too. You know what I mean? Uh, it's probably a really boring fight until Ryan lands something. Um, yep. But yep, I can see that happening. The build-up would be all the fun. That's the biggest thing, Garcia, is the build-up. 
Oh, yeah, That'd the build-up is going to be crazy. Because the way Ryan, I mean, the way uh, Roley speaks is just hilarious. It's like he is, like, just, like, he kind of almost sounds illiterate when he speaks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, it's just really funny then to hear him talk trash. Because he a bitch, that why. I'd be like, oh, my God. <laughs> 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 yeah, listening to him speak is really hilarious. But yeah. uh, this fight here with, with Regis and Devin Haney, oh, man, I've been so waiting for this. <laughs> yes, I'm like, sir. the Showtime fight, I'm like, oh, man, I don't think it, I'll just watch that later. But this, this is. This is the one I'm interested in. Yeah, me too. And I think people are really undervaluing um, what Progray brings to the table on this fight. Um, I think he's a little – I think he should be the underdog on the books. That's cool. But I think he's a little bit too much when when you see, like, plus 320 and all that. Um, But, yeah, go ahead and break it down, sir. Oh, yeah, this fight is going to be – it's going to be very interesting because Devin has the right game plan. Like, Regis already knows his flaws. Like, he knows what people are going to say about him. Uh, he's a powerful puncher. But his defense is not there. His defense has never been there. His defense has been his offense. He was hit so many times with jabs he shouldn't have been hit with. Blows. He shouldn't have been hit with. He got dropped in his last fight. He looked bad. He looked unmotivated. But for this fight, he will get up for. And he's going to be hell on wheels for Devin for the first three, four rounds. Devin Haney is going to have a hard time with Regis Progre in the first three, four rounds. Now, he calls him a one-trick pony. Well, that's true. He throws that combination a lot. And, you know, he looks for the knockout because he believes in his power. And most power punches, they don't have a plan B, plan C, and what and what uh, Devin Haney has is boxing ability. He, he's okay with knowing that, hey, I'm not going to knock you out, but what I can do, you right. can't do. I'm you know, I could go to right. I could move around. I could jab. I could hit you with uh, different combinations. Uh, I could turn you. I know how to, to tie you up. Something Regis is not really good at. Most power punches are not really good at tying people up to stop the momentum. And, you know, the, the when you grab somebody, you don't just grab them when you get hurt or you get buzzed or you need a break to rest or anything. You do it to stop off their timing as well. It's, it's almost like a technique. You turn them just so you can get a space to get away or get out of a situation you're about to be boxed in on. So you want to make sure you know all of these factors that Devin is skilled in this. He's okay with tying you up and drowning you out. And he knows, like, in the later round, I'm going to be able to control you because I'm going to use my jab. I know you, you, he's going to, you know, Devin's got a longer reach. Uh, Regis likes to get in close, use these different things and techniques and try to overpower people with his wheel and break people down. I just don't see that happening with Devin in this fight. But the first four rounds is going to be crucial. Regis is going to give it everything he's got. He's going to try his new stuff. 
but he's going to go back to the same techniques and the same combinations he's been using all, all of his days. I wish he threw more body shots. I won't raise it. Yeah, me too. Fight, I like that in Loma. He did that in that Loma fight a lot better, Garcino. Yeah. And that's what he needs. He needs to definitely throw more body shots. And that's what, uh, to hurt Devin and break Devin down, you're going to need to do that. You're going to have to go to his body. If you headhunt, you, you're done. He's waiting for that. So first four rounds for Devin, control the fight, keep it boring for four rounds. Use the jab. Don't do anything really extra. Hit him with something to let you know he can't walk just in there. He's got to respect you. But don't overextend it yet. Just wait. <laughs> just wait. It's coming. So just keep the game fight boring to about the fourth or fifth round. It's it's simple. Like being in a Mayweather camp and watching the game plan get played out to a professional point is unbelievable. Like I knew the Zab Judah game plan, and it was amazing that people just, everybody from the outside just watch it. They believe Zab Judah was having so much success. And it's just like if you watch the Conor McGregor fight, it was the same game plan. And I was like, I was in both of those camps. And I seen Zab Judah knew Floyd. Like they both of them trained together. They was in best of friends. And when you fight your friends and you asparge your friend before, they have a look of you. They know what to expect. So in that fight, Floyd did not use the shoulder roll. He did not use the shoulder roll when he fought Zab Judah. He, that, he gave them, like, we know the defense. They're bringing guys in to do the shoulder roll to Philly Shell. And Zab, no, he trained all his camp for the Philly Shell. And Floyd came out and did not fight him in the Philly shell at all. He walked him down and let Zab burn himself out. That was the game plan. Keep walking him down, making Zab back up. Zab cannot fight coming forward. He can't he can fight coming forward, but he can't fight going backwards. They knew this about him through the, his Olympic days. This is how he lost to David Diaz from Chicago, who's slow you know, he's not as strong. Zab had all the advantages, but he lost to David Diaz. He looked good in that first round. Second round, it was tight, but in the third round, David Diaz dominated him. He was in better shape than Zab. He'd been running 12 miles. And David Diaz, everybody's like, who is David Diaz? I don't really remember him. <laughs> he made the team, and Zab was the alternate. He beat Zab. And in the amateurs, because Zab is flashy and has all this, but he didn't have the intangibles. He didn't have the, you know, just the grit. It was all athleticism and, you know, and straightforward power. But coming forward, you see in a game plan, people can game plan against you. He knew he's going to gas out. Zab is what they call front runners. Three, four rounds, they gas out. And what Floyd wanted to do is keep backing Zab up when they get close, make Zab got to push off. And he did the same thing to Conor McGregor. He said, he do that, he won't have any legs left. I know Zab. Zab's not going to have any legs. He's going to lose a lot of energy to keep backing up and throw his power shot. And I'm going to take all his power out, and he's going to be done. 
And about four or five rounds, he's done. And sure enough, he was. And from the fifth round on, Zabin went around. He was done to the point where he knew he was about to get stopped, so he hit Floyd in the ball. <laughs> it was a great night for boxing, but the same thing with Conor McGregor, the game plan. And Devin Haynes, you know, been close to Floyd since he was a kid. You know, his father and everybody, they knew the Haynes, they knew uh, the Mayweathers. These guys all were around each other, and the game planning is is key to boxing. A lot of people don't believe in that, but it's true. Floyd game plans against Miguel Cotto. He did two different game plans. He brought in Omar Henry, a fighter here from Chicago that I know, actually from Mount Prospect. I know his brother Mark and uh, Omar, and Omar fought just like Miguel Cotto. He passed away from, like, cancer at a very young age from taking some supplements from overseas. Um, he ended up getting cancer on his liver and everything else, and he passed away in his 20s, undefeated fighter. But he was the sparring partner for Floyd when he trained against Miguel Cotto, and just Floyd ended up airing his sparring on YouTube, which he'd never really done before. And he did that for the Cotto fight. And it was him against Omar. And gave Omar that exposure. But, yeah, he passed away undefeated. But Omar Henry resembled the fighting style. I suggested to Floyd use Omar. I'm like, Floyd, get Omar. He fought just like Miguel Cotto. And in that sparring session, he found out the same way what's going to work and what's not going to work. So he tried the two different techniques. So the uppercut, which he rarely throws because it exposes him to get hit so much, he didn't want to try it. But that was the combination that worked in sparring, the right uppercut, left hook. It was like the left hook and, and the right uppercut is going to work on Miguel Cotto. It's working in here. You give it a shot. Cotto bends down at the knee a lot to throw his punches, his hard jabs. But Cotto was so talented. He was trying a lot of different things in the ring that was different than what Floyd had practiced for because of the trainer he had had him fighting a different way, fighting and throwing off off-speed punches, look, at, look off hooks. I was like, wow, a hook jab? I was like, this is – I've never seen Miguel Cotto do this. Mikhail Cotto did some different things in that fight, but he's so strong. Well, that's what Floyd's like, man, he was tough, very unique. And Devin Haney has all this experience around him, but he's not Floyd. And a lot of these guys, like he was in the camp training with Floyd, and he had to get chewed out because of what he was doing in the ring. I mean, just sparring, and this is just workout. And this was him hitting the back, and he's got his hands low, throwing the punches. And he's like, look, that's how he stopped it. They said, look, that's what Floyd does. You're not at Floyd level, okay? Keep your damn hands up and throw the shots from up there. <laughs> he's got his hands low throwing. He's like, Floyd has trained his whole life to, so he can do that if he wants to throw the punches from there. He has the speed and reflexes to get his hands back in time. You're going to learn and train 
with your hands up. Keep your hands, your damn hands up here and throw the punches like we told you to throw. So he's, he's trained well. Like, that's the thing about Devin, but a lot of young fighters are like that. They see Floyd do it, so they want to do it. Like when Ryan did the shoulder roll, and a lot of people don't realize, like, shit, Floyd, it was trained in this style. He developed his shoulders. He works on techniques to build his shoulders up to take these punches because his shoulders is going to get beat up. That's why he has, like, you know, his shoulders look like bowling balls because he knows that right. I just can't go out there and shoulder roll. I know my arm is going to get beat up, my shoulder. I need my shoulder to stick out and be like a ball so I can hide my face and my chin behind it. So I can't just go out there and shoulder roll and I don't have the physical, my body's not physically ready to fight in that type of style. But you got to work on everything. I'm like, okay, what the shoulder roll don't work. You're going to have to do and try everything. You can't just have one style. Floyd can fight going backwards, forwards. It doesn't matter. He can stand toe-to-toe with you. I've seen him do techniques that go backwards. I've, I've seen a lot of different things from him. He did a whole round fighting going backwards. Spent a whole round training with the music blasting, just him just going around the ring, stepping backwards, punching, circling the ring, working on going backwards with his feet, step left, drag the right foot. He's doing all of these techniques at 2 o'clock in the morning in a gym. Yeah, 2 right. o'clock. 2 o'clock in the morning in the gym, <laughs> going off, got the music blasting, 2 o'clock in the morning, and got everybody there at 2 o'clock. And that's when he told the one guy who was out, who <laughs> he couldn't get there, like showed up late. He's like, look, I don't care if you in bed with your girl. You get up and you get here. If I got to get up and sacrifice, <laughs> your ass should be here too. I want everybody here. If I'm going to come, if I'm fighting and I got to pay everybody, and why do you get to lay up and have this? I got to sacrifice. <laughs> Y'all got to sacrifice too. I don't care what you're doing. You better come here. If I call you and I still be there, you be there. So, Any, uh, there, man. yeah, it, it'll be interesting how this Haney program, I, how it goes. I, I do agree with what you're saying about the first chunk of rounds, how Haney's just got to mm-hmm. not get buzzed in that, got to be able to defend himself. And, you know, That's his problem. Patient. That's when I, the thing I just told you about, what he did in the, in the camp, and his team chewed him out for it, is trying to be doing stuff like Floyd, that's his problem. That's the only downfall he has is that he tries to do things like Mayweather or he's so impressionable. He likes to do things like Floyd, but Floyd has been spending years doing this. You know, he just don't – you just can't come out and do Floyd and abandon defense, and that's what gets Devin in trouble. He keeps his chin too high. He doesn't keep his glove up enough to protect his chin a lot. He he kind of admires his punches, and a lot of these young fighters do it. They don't protect their chin. They don't, like, button the chin down. Like, that used to mean something in boxing. These young fighters now, they keep their head straight in the air, like Ryan Garcia. Chin flying right in the air. Oh, yeah. Knocked out. They deal, they deal with their athleticism 
you know, to be able to reflex this, to be able to get away from it, but that's what's going to get them knocked out. I'm like, y'all going to get knocked out fighting like this. I don't know how y'all gotten away with this this long. But you're going to get Yeah, and even, even Roy up. Jones, you know, would ha- he wouldn't have his chin in the air. You know what I mean? Sure, his hands were down, but his chin wasn't in the air. And, you know, especially in his prime. And also, people got to remember how, like you said, I mean, Roy Jones, kind of like Mayweather, Roy Jones was working on stuff as a kid. He had his father winging two-by-fours at him, you know, swinging it at him, and that's what he learned how to duck out of his shot from. Like, there was going to be consequences. Like, it's just you can't do it in a camp and just be like, all right, I think I'm going to bring this out here. Um, No matter – I mean, maybe not no matter what level it is, but uh, pretty much any kind of world level, you can't just bring that out, um, you know after one camp or, or you, you never really, I mean, I don't know, man, you can't just do, you got, if you want to practice the shoulder row for years and then on a certain night, bring it out, maybe, but if you haven't done it since a kid, I agree. It just, it just doesn't make sense and whatever. It is what it is. <laughs> People are just going to yep. keep learning, I guess. That was funny how Derek James was like, Hey dude, you're getting hit here and you're getting hit here. Stop doing that. You know, that, that just yep. stop doing it. That's just not working. Um, any other items? Uh, any other items that you'd like to, to speak upon there, sir? Uh, nothing much except for this commentating. Um, I think that it, it's poorly done because I know why they did it. Because for years, uh, a lot of people didn't like Harold Letterman's takes because they felt Harold was, you know, and yeah, he was biased because he was mostly working with Bob Arum and Top Rank. And he was quietly doing matchmaking for them. So anything against Mayweather, you know, or anybody was wasn't with top rank, he complained about. But he wouldn't do that for top rank fighters. He wouldn't, comp, you know, go after them. So like Bernard Hopkins didn't like him. Roy Jones didn't like him. There was a lot of fighters that didn't go like Larry Merchant and the way he was commenting. So now. Well, they had the fighters basically had their own prom- promotional companies like PBC, and they became too favorable to the fighters. So there's nothing. Yeah, no one can have deal. an opinion. Yeah, it's like no one now no. Yeah, can say anything that the fighter is doing wrong or just report on what's happening in the sport or the game. You know, it's like you got all these inexperienced, MMA uh, announcers in here now. It sounds like an MMA fight. Anything is thrown. Oh, crushing oh, blow! Wow. It's like everybody. Yeah, and I'm like, oh my man. god, he's hammering him now. I'm like, none of these are scoring blows. <laughs> right. It's like everybody's the boogeyman. Everybody's the boogeyman. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh my gosh. I'm like, they're doing such an egregious job. So when they hear the announcer scores come out. They're going to be shocked. And I was, I, was, I was watching one fight. I'm like, they're going to be shocked when they hear these scores. And sure enough, man, oh, gosh, I heard those scores of the fight. The fight was close. I was like, Cody, these announcers, this guy's winning in a landslide. They're going to be really upset when they hear these scores. <laughs> None of these punches this guy is throwing is, are, are landing. Like, these are not landing. They're hitting his arms. I was like, these are not scoring shots. At all, but yeah, he, I'm like, yeah, he's active, 
but he's not really throwing anything of of, of note. It's kind of blocked and picked off. The other guy's defense is actually pretty good, and he's controlling him with a jab. I forgot what fight that was, but that was a fight. I'm like, my gosh, what is wrong with these announcers? And I, and I understand what they were saying. Like, even Tim Bradley's horrible at this. I'm like, Tim Bradley, you were a fighter, but you were mostly a, a, like a backyard fighter. You know, right. like they found you in a lumberjack yard with a boxing match. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it wasn't like you were technically sound or even trained to do so. He's a great guy, but you were never that type of fighter. You were not trained by professional boxers. And that was that's just been a problem here with the sport is people are not they thinking it promotes it by giving it excitement by saying it, but you're you're not intelligently telling people about the game and now the casuals think they know what's going on. Anytime somebody throws a punch, it's a landing. He hit him in the arm. I'm like it's just I'm like that's not a scoring blow at all. That doesn't even register. So I said. The problem is they got to fix this uh, moving forward. We need real people that know the sport or, you know, broadcast to actually know this sport enough to be able to commentate it, you know, and, and tell us what's going on in the fight. The fighter tell its own story. <laughs> Let the story develop in the fight and then move forward. Right. From They're busy you know, talking about future fights, Curse. You know, it's like, hey, the opponent – just won the last two rounds. I don't know if you're knowing this. I don't know if you're seeing this. But I, like you said, let's exactly. talk about what's happening in the fucking fight a little <laughs> bit at least. And not everybody's jab is Hagler's jab. Not every, you know, let, why do we have to keep going on this? Oh, he's got a jab like this. No, not really. No, he really doesn't. So why, do we, why don't you just say he's got a good jab? I like the way he mixes it up. You don't got to go back to Hagler or something or, or, or Tommy Hearns to talk about a jab, yeah. you know? <laughs> it's, it's like, it's dude, a, stop doing that, you know? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's a travesty to the sport, man, because everybody is <laughs> – and it's this favoritism for one fighter that yeah. just was terrible. Even in the Ryan Garcia fight, it was like the Ryan Garcia show, like, Ryan has got to do this. Ryan has got to do that. Ryan right. should do this. Ryan, I'm like, well – what the hell does Dorte got to do? Because yeah, does he got to do anything in there? Is he fighting? <laughs> right. Is he just here to lose or whatever? Like, come on, man. Like, they had money I on Ryan Garcia. Like, why are you worried about anything? What, what do you mean you're worried about that for Garcia? Aren't you like, yeah, Ryan's got to stop that. For Dorte? Yeah, it's like, why? Why does he have to stop it? Like, how about Dorte's <laughs> this or whatever? Yeah. It's just across the board now. It's just, it's just really, really bad, man. It's, it's so yeah, that Ryan Garcia commentary was horrible. Ryan's got to stop that. Well, he could, he's going to get hurt. I see that happening. He's got to stop that. I'm like, well, damn. I mean, <laughs> I mean the opponent don't feel that way. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, it's, it's been quite interesting. But, yes, future fight promotions, that's all they're looking at. And they don't even know how to set those up. And they, 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 a lot of them don't materialize. And then you, you just did all this for nothing. Right. So hopefully next year the future will be brighter because people are realizing, hey, um, 
people are not putting up with our mess no more. We're not getting free money anymore. Showtime's like, we're out. So now it's like uh, they're still negotiating with this Amazon Prime thing. So we'll see where PBC ends up or where they close the deal or not. So they were talking about we'll get our own pay-per-view channel like The Zone. Let's call it PBC and put our own fights. I'm like, nah, that's not Al Heyman's plan. <laughs> hey, hey, yeah. Al Heyman is never spend my own money. <laughs> that is not Al Heyman's style at all. He is not going to spend his own money. It's spend other people's money. OPM, baby. And he's that all the way. He's going to have everybody putting in money and then sponsor the whole event or he's not touching it. And as soon as there's no more money, well, we're moving here. Somebody else is going to pay. So Amazon is okay. It'll be on Amazon. People could subscribe to the boxing thing or if they have pay-per-view. I think right now that's probably the best format for them. Yeah, I we'll think uh, that's together. We'll they keep, they keep talking or they could uh, just go to the zone. The zone seems to, they have a great format with the zone. I like the way they uh, their app works. As to, you know, I've seen a lot of other boxing apps. This one seems way to, more together than anybody else's. So ESPN yeah, I mean, visually it's garbage. not great. Visually it's not great, I'll say that. Um, like, if you look at, like, when you watch replays, it speeds up a lot during the fights, but um, it's easy to find, that's for sure. It's very easy oh. to find because that's what most of the app is, whereas, you know, some people maybe on, like, the ESPN Plus can't find it as, you know, as quick or whatever, but, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, mine don't speed up. I'm like, mine, I've never had that problem yet. Well, and it's not, you know – it's not on the highest level high def. That's for sure. I mean, they admit it, you know. It's on the 720. Oh, That's what I mean. okay. Yeah. Like, it, it's, it, it does on the, on re, live it doesn't do it, but when you do archive, which I do watch a lot of archive fights in general, um, it does speed up a little bit every once in a while in the round. You're like, oh, that dude's quick. Oh, hold on. He's not quick. Forget it. That just sped up. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's easy to find. You get on there, boom, it's right there. It's easy to join a live broadcast. We'll see. We'll see. It's a lot of speculation, but we won't know until it, it gets announced. But I do appreciate you stopping in here, sir, because I know you're a busy man. Um, oh yeah. You have, and you have yourself a good night there, Garcino. Enjoy the fights. You got any plans? Are you going to watch this fight at all or? Oh, um, yeah, I'm going to be watching it right here in my living room. After all this traveling yes, I've been doing, I'm like, dude, I'm yeah, staying right? right here in this living room. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you all for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Glad I could make the show. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Garcino. You take it easy, man. You too. All righty, Garcino for life. Check him out, as usual. Um, and someone was mentioning earlier about the Pro Box. So I checked it. There was no fight. Um, this this week wasn't a fight. I mean, you could you could watch archive fights on there, but there wasn't a fight last week. And I did. Uh, it's been about a week since that fight, so I did kind of forget. I was going to mention a little bit about it, but um, 
Orlando Gonzalez did win that fight against uh, Jorge Castaneda. Um, I think it was split decision, right? Pretty sure it was split decision. Um, he he definitely had like a you know a good start to the fight. Gonzalez did, um, and, and a lot of what he did, you know, he came out really really strong. Came out doing his thing, and it was like uh, I think the second round is yeah the knockout was the second round. It was like a a left hook kind of a, a winging type hook, wide hook that knocked him down. Uh, and, you know, it, it was like, I don't know. It's like he got up and it was kind of like the Gonzalez's left hand and Jorge's right hand. That's kind of what it was. And down the stretch of that fight, like, you know, Castanado got up from that and started landing his good shots. And then he had like a good run till probably the fifth or sixth round, something like that. And then the left hand for Gonzalez started kind of doing the best work, I would say. Um, But Gonzalez did seem like he was fading down the stretch, Um, but he did end up getting the win. So that's, that's the only fight um, that I was able to, to see that as far as the most recent fight. I mean, so I don't think that the next fight is next Wednesday, the 13th. And it's kind of cool because a lot of times they do it in that. I think it's uh, the white sands event center or something like that. It's in uh, plant city, Florida. So they, they're constantly doing it at that venue and, uh, Jukum taking on, uh, Mim- Mimone, or God, I can't remember his name, but that that there's actually that's a decent card. A lot of this stuff is either prospect driven, or it's uh, it's just like mid level fights, you know. So there, there is, there, it's pretty good, man. I like it. I do like it. I think that um, I think they do a good job with it. And like I said, it has its own night. Um, I remember when FS1 did those. Uh, toe-to-toe Tuesdays, those were kind of fun. It was kind of a very similar thing where the mid-level fight kind of found a home on a consistent uh, basis. And um, that's kind of like the biggest thing about all these, uh, you know, ever since 2015 and then ESPN got a deal like a year and a half later and, you know, there's all these cards and whatnot. I'd say that's the biggest thing is, yeah, the exposure's been nice, of course, especially when it was on network. And ESPN still will give you the exposure, um, especially with the lead-in. When they have a college football lead-in or college basketball, they're going to have the Heisman ceremony this, this week. Uh, we talked about that main event. It's pretty pretty mediocre. It does seem like they're setting up for anyway. But um, they do have... They, they got some interesting stuff, you know, and like I said, to have your own night, I think that's really cool. Um, now, as far as Ryan Garcia's next fight, someone, you know, texted me about Stevenson, and Stevenson did have a couple of things to say about the fight um, as far as, like, you know, um, that I'd fight him next, but... Um, he, he he was really in between on, like, would he go to 140? 
in multiple multiple interviews. He even said on Twitter with the uh, Najee um, Chill um, from Cigar Talk, he asked him, you know, if the fight has to be at 140, are you willing to go up? And he said we could do a catch weight, or he can come to 135 if he want to finally become a world. If he wants to finally become a world champion, ha ha ha. I mean, what? Like, so he doesn't think Haney was a world champion at 135? I mean, that that's kind of weird. I didn't notice that, but someone sent me that as a tweet. Um, and Haney did drop all those belts at 135, so obviously we know, um, you know, the WBC um, is is obviously Shakur Stevenson's now. Um, so that that's obviously filled. And a lot of times people will look at rankings and not um, either realize it or kind of think it through. Um, and, you know, once you become a champ, you generally speaking get knocked out of the rate of other like the IBF. Like if you're WBC, you're probably not going to be in those, those ratings. You're not going to be ranked in another, you know, um, sanctioning belt. So, and we've talked about this for a while. Now we at least have movement, which I do appreciate. Um, you see the full WBC champ now uh, for Shakur. Number one is Lomachenko. Number two is William Zapata. Gervonta will probably be, even though he said he need to throw it away, I don't want it or whatever, but he'll probably be upgraded um, at that spot. Um, right now, if you look at, like, the IBF, the number one spot is not rated, but it's Cambosas and Lomachenko. So more than likely, when they fight next year, in Australia, it sounds like, Loma and Cambosis will be fighting for that IPF. Um, and you can see now, when you go to the WBO, a lot of people just kind of assumed, because, you know, everyone has a relationship with certain things, right? And one of the relationships is top rank in WBO. Uh, WBA has been heavy PBC lately and, and ongoing, right? Um, WBC favors certain fighters, whatever, right? That's just how it goes, but I don't think that that'll be the case in this one because as we know, like the 126 WBO has been challenged or, you know, held by the, every, every time it comes loose, it's a top ranked fighter that gets it. I think that's dating back to, don't quote me. I think 2006, something like that. 2007, 2000, we did a, a, we broke that down once, but so that, you know, the W. The, the WBO has Lomachenko, uh, Ber, Ber, uh, Denise Berenchek, and then Isak Cruz, but they haven't they haven't updated yet. And you know, so you could make an argument that well, they haven't won the IBF belt yet, right? But I doubt they'd all of a sudden like. Let me see, Cambosis right now must not be like on the WBO path, like in their ranking system, because he's not. Now, given, they could just move him up to two in the next rankings, and maybe that would be the vacant WBO. I'm not a big fan of two vacant belts. They call it a, uh, an under, you know, you know, a unification. Uh, but that could be. That could be. But they already moved 
the, the old WBO ranking had Loma and Shakur. So they already moved Shakur out. So my guess is they're going to probably move Lomachenko out um, because if he's going to fight Cambosis, they're probably not going to give. And that, long story short, that sets up number three, Isak Cruz, for a belt. That's my guess. Now, you could also say if they do make that Isak Cruz fight with Gervonta, that that would be for the, the real WBA or whatever because he's ranked number one there. So it is what it is. Um, I don't like to sit there and stick to the sanctioning belts or anything like that, but um, sometimes you – I mean, that's what the ranking system is based off of, and, and sometimes some of these fights get made because of that. Um, especially if you're not like a cash cow or whatever. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, but, yeah, about that, we talked about that catch weight a little bit. And Oscar De La Hoya, this is boxing scene, said that Ryan Garcia wanted to catch weight at 143, so we made it happen. That has always been the contractual weight. Um, he said he is concerned um, because why not 140? If you're professional, you're going to train and work hard. 140 should have been shouldn't be a problem. Um, so, but it was the case, okay? Now, Edberg, this is a couple more new, news items before we get out of here. Edgar Berlanga is facing McCrory in a main event. It, 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 it's a really letdown fight. Um, I don't know. I don't, I, you know, we know Mungia and Ryder got announced. Their tickets just went on sale today. Um, also, since we've last talked, the, the, the Triple B of C have rejected the Connor Benz application to fight Chris Eubank Jr. Because, you know, they still have to have, like, the appeal process, and they still got to have, like, basically like a hearing through them, uh, through UCAD. That, that's basically what he was talking about. So that's what it's always been. So it is, you know, it is what it is there. Um, let's see, what else we got? We do have, <laughs> here's a funny one. So, we're kind of interesting, actually. I-, I looked at it wrong. Keith Thurman did respond to Devin Haney saying that he may want to go up to 147 and fight a name. He said, I'll take the fight next year, send the contract. Haney is a great boxer, no power, great speed. I saw Haney at the casino with the crew enjoying themselves for the Crawford Spence. I guess he was sizing me up. Um, blah 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 blah. He said he, you know, he said he's interested in that fight because it's. I don't know if you know Haney's going to stay right at at 140 next or, or go to 47. He's kind of made it open. He basically is like, I've already done the undisputed, and I'm ready to to step up. Someone else sent me this about the WBA. Uh, having a, a a new division, just like the WBC here on this one, from 200 to 224, the cruiserweight heavyweight. Oh, great. Um, Oshaki Foster, who's a champ there at 130, signed with top rank not long ago. I think it was a three- or four-fight deal. He is scheduled, penciled in anyway, according to Dan Raphael and some others, on a top-ranked card from the theater at Madison Square Garden. Um, so that's cool that they're they're getting him in the ring. They just got him. I don't know. It's like more on that Shakur thing about Ryan Garcia. I don't know. It's like on one time, 
one thing he's saying, I could easily win that fight. He's a trash fighter. But then if he's a trash fighter, you might as well go to 140. You know what I mean? You might as well do that fight. then. So I, I don't know. I'm not sure. Everyone kind of talks a lot, you know. It is what it is. I mean, even Roley says, I don't think Ryan Garcia deserves a shot. It's like, oh, yeah? Well, did you deserve a shot? Like, it's just, it's, it's pretty silly. And by the way, just to have a little bit more information, someone asked, on DAZN, if you're a subscriber, it's 50, it's basically 60 bucks rather than 75. So you're saving $15, and it does seem like they're selling a whole lot of tickets. It's already, they, they set it up for, I think, 15 or 14,000. They've already gone past that. So kudos to Devin Haney in program, but especially uh, Devin Haney. Um, you know, they brought a fight home, and uh, it's paying dividends. It's paying dividends. Anyway, I'm going to get out of here. Enjoy the fights this weekend. Hopefully we get a really fun fight in the main event. If not, either way, I'll be back next week. Peace. Once you become the world champion, I believe that you feel you have the upper hand. So now, when, as you fight, let's say you fight four or five years of straight survival, of the bullshit, of the whole bag, and when you become a world champion, you're like, you know what, I made it. I'm going to show you it's this. So I'm going to get any, every dollar worth uh, of, of, of what I deserve. Why?